Dave Flood, man. Welcome to Going Again Podcast. I am stoked to be here. I'm Hon- stoked honestly. you're here. We're, yeah. yeah, we're stoked you're here, man. Yeah. This you, is great. You guys have become uh, a huge part of my life Wicked. in a very short period of time. Likewise. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, you know, as far as friends go and that, we're, <clears throat> I'm, I'm super close, even though I'm super far. Yeah. Oh, man. So, I'm with you, man. I, I, I love you guys. Yeah, it's incredible uh, that in such a short amount of time that we managed to make some pretty balling memories, man. And, yeah, you know? that's that's what that kind of stuff does. Yeah. Like not just the movie stuff, but that team stuff. Yeah. It, yes. It builds builds lifelong bonds. You can, you know, it's like those friends you have. Everybody has them that you you cannot talk to for years. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And Time and up, distance doesn't exist between friends. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then there's other ones that you don't talk to for a while, and you're like, ah. I'm not going to pick up the phone. Yeah, I didn't even like him back then. Totally, man. <laughs> I actually just played a golf tournament with a friend like that. I, I have uh, I have some, like a, a, a guy that I've known since grade seven kind of yeah. thing. And uh, whenever we get together, man, it's 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 just and awesome act, every and, time. And they act like they're in grade seven. Yeah, 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 yeah big time. <laughs> I, was, uh, I just caught part of a movie last night that uh, Tanya and her son were watching called uh, Buddy Games or something like that. Never heard of it. Buddy Games. Yeah, it was, <clears throat> it's actually pretty. Josh Duhamel uh, was in it. Uh, I only saw maybe half an hour of it, but it was basically like that. Lifelong friends that okay. get together okay. once a year and uh, cool. fuck with each other. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, so. man. Yeah, right on. Well, <clears throat> what's happening? What are you doing right now in your life? <sighs> hey, you what guys just doing? did uh, TIFF, right? Like yes. Bodyguard yeah. stuff? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Close protection. Close protection. That's yeah, you is. and zero 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 one Sean Lawrence. That's true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and another good friend of mine, Jeff Broughton, and another new good friend, uh, Kathy. And I forget Kathy's last name. Oh well, shout out to Kathy. We'll find yeah. out. Yeah. yeah, we'll figure it out. Um, she's <clears throat> a retired cop as well. Cool. Okay. So the four of us were a team uh, at one of the venues. Nice. And it was um, awesome. Like what, what? What's it like for you? Uh, I mean, I mean, for all the celebrities, it's obviously a lot of fun, and other, you know, and anyone who's a guest. But for you, you're working. What's it like? Um, well, yeah, I just slipped back into that mode of when I was doing what I used to do in my past life. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, so you're game face on, and it's not about the paparazzi or the celebrity, and that's what I notice. Um, I'm judging by your suit. Yeah, you, you know, guys look. You amazing. look like you were looking for that camera, man. That was a nice suit. <clears throat> um, you know, that's that's another part of the story of it because there were some, you know, funny or interesting or whatever, maybe funny to me. But um, you know, you're not watching the celebrity as much as you're like, wow, I've seen these actors. I've never been that starstruck guy, right? Sure. Um, they're just people to me. Um, people with a people with a talent or blessed sure you know whatever <clears throat> and uh, more power to them making the kind of money they're making 100 um you know part of the lifestyle you see gets to them <laughs> in, in a lot of ways but but you know just to back it up i was there to do a job not to watch them and uh there's some people in that field and i'm not trying to badmouth anybody but you watch them you see them watching them you're like, why? And we had to go and direct a couple of people, not from our group or company, but had to direct a few people to don't stand facing them. You have to watch the crowd. 
Yeah, that makes oh, sense. Oh, wow. But they weren't part of our like team. Like their own <clears throat> security of sorts? Is well, there was, a, there was another security company. There were several security companies involved in this whole thing. Okay, I and imagine. And they supplemented. Yeah. Um, but we, as a core four, were the close protection for the cast uh, on the red carpet, doing the interviews, and then going out to meet and greet the fans and sign autographs. And then once we got them into the theater, our job was done until it was over and they had to get back to their vehicles. <clears throat> so, okay. So yeah, so there were other people there and they didn't have the experience or the training. And that's all it was. Like I sure. said, I'm not bad-mouthing them. They just didn't know. So what was your role be. exactly in comparison perhaps to the others? Make sure that nobody got their hands on on the, uh, the stars on the, or the cast. On the, okay. Um, because they get right up close, obviously. They're taking selfies. Uh, some of the uh, actors will take the people's cell phone and do the selfie with cheek to cheek. Yeah. Um, some of the actors, you could tell, were nervous and they would do everything at arm's length, you know, to sign. They would take their pen and, and their hmm. picture or whatever and sign, but their it's, arms were extended. It's got to be scary, man. Yeah, that's got to be nerve wracking to be someone, especially so mega. Like, like it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen to me very often. Yeah, but, but, but when it does, you go to the grocery store, man, somebody's looking at you. You yeah. never know. Yeah, you never. Know. I'm surprised they can contain themselves on the set of a show. <laughs> you know, right? where, well, there where there is no security. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know, it's funny. We we're talking about this. Um, maybe you should uh, let the. Uh, viewer listener in on what it was you did in a previous life that gets you there so i um i was a police officer mm -hmm. i switched from one major uh metropolitan police department to another one that was major as well but uh smaller and that was just for the purposes of uh well actually i didn't like the job i was doing with the first police department and there was no sign of me getting out i was a traffic man okay and the reason I was a traffic man was because I was a cadet first and they trained me how to ride the Harleys. Okay. And then when I did my training after police college, I was at a very busy division, uh, probably the busiest back in that day. And guns were just starting to come into play and, and a lot of drugs. Like guns on the street. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of drugs. So for my three or four month training period, um, I was involved in everything. I like literally these high speed car chases, got drug dealers throwing packets of cocaine out the window. Um, people, wow. people running away and throwing a gun, uh, car chases and a gun going out the window and, and stuff like that. Like it was always, and some of the most <clears throat> disgusting homes or residences that I've ever been in. And just like unbelievable. Um, hmm. So I was there and huh. I was loving it because I, I was, well, I was 21 at the time. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what I, you wanted to do as Pretty a action cop, packed. you know, kick yeah, ass yeah, and put yeah. bad guys in jail. <clears throat> totally. And, uh, when they told me I was going back to the traffic unit, um, because I was motorcycle trained and they were doing that because they were trying to build up the traffic units again. And, uh. And so there were a number of people, I was very fortunate, a number of people that went to bat for me high up in the division I was in that wanted to keep me there. So that was a really good feeling. But in the end, they were told, 
leave my cadet alone was the words I was told that oh, wow. they, they said, the superintendent. And back I went to the traffic unit. So I was riding the Harley in the winter. Um, oh, my God. They, they put a sidecar <laughs> on it, and uh, you could not wear enough clothes to stay warm. Yeah, yeah I, wear, I ride um, mine in the winter. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's well, hardcore. Two wheels, long johns and leather, baby. Yeah, but is there tons <laughs> of snow on the ground? No. The snow's on, yeah. on, on the grass, and he's on the dry road. Yeah. That is kind of oh, how he well, does it. It's nuts. It didn't matter whether, like, blizzard. It had to be. That's crazy. It had to yeah, be minus. If I remember correctly, it had to be minus 20 without the wind chill factor Jesus. before they would pull the Harleys off the road. So the Harleys were more important than we were, the, the engines. So they put a <laughs> sidecar on it so that you didn't wipe out. Um, but <laughs> but Jesus. If, you, if you've ever driven a motorcycle with a sidecar on it, and maybe a few of your listeners or viewers will have done that, if you uh, turn too hard to the right, yeah, the sidecar pops in the air. Yeah, no doubt. Or if you hit something, like I hit a <laughs> curb one time, <clears throat> turning right, making a right-hand turn, I hit a curb slightly, the sidecar popped up in the air, and I was headed straight towards a streetcar. Oh, Jesus. And I was, I mean, some of your, your listeners can't see me, but I was just lean and giving her. <laughs> and, and I was going down and my glove touched the side of the streetcar briefly. But I was oh, like, wow. oh, shit. I had the pucker factor going huge. <laughs> <laughs> and the sidecar's up in the air and people are thinking, wow, look at this guy, this copy's daredevil or whatever. Or <laughs> I'm like... I'm shitting bricks, you know, and I got it, got it straightened out and back down on the road and away I went. And I think I, you know, went to the station and went to the washroom. I don't, you know, I don't That's know. It's And you must imagine that there's a whole bunch of people seeing this kind of loving. It was. That a cop of, is about to hit a fucking TTC. <laughs> it was in front of the Eaton Center. Uh, oh, oh, my wow. God. Dundas <laughs> Square. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right there. Jeez. There's nobody around. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah, people people are loving cops nowadays making mistakes. Oh, Holy yeah, fuck. Yeah. I was doing a show once where two coppers were coming around the corner on their bikes, two single bikes, no no sidecars. Yeah. And as they're coming around the corner, the younger guy on the inside was looking at some extras that were standing on the I was watching oh, I was watching him watch them. Oh. And he drove straight into the other guy. It was awesome. Oh, uh, no. They both went down. One of the guys snapped off his floorboard, and uh, the crew <clears throat> uh, applauded. Yeah. It, was, it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> they thought it was a good stunt. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> and That's hopefully hilarious. they jumped up and... Well, we know, all they, helped them pick up the bikes. Yeah, it's yeah. so fun. <laughs> yeah, but uh, they were, <clears throat> you know, dangerous as hell. Yeah. You know from riding a bike. Yeah. Uh, you got to yeah. watch. And even a police bike. I got pushed off out of a lane on the Don Valley Parkway on a police Harley by an elderly woman. Wow. Oh, yeah. Who was indicating to come over. And I was right beside her. And, uh, you know, I, I was like, she's not. But then her car started to move over. And I had either throttle down or throttle up, which... You know, I wasn't going to speed up because if she'd probably you take never out know. my back wheel. Yeah. So I actually moved over onto the shoulder. Luckily, there was a shoulder on the Don, that part of the Don Valley. It was up by, uh, it was past Don Mills. Mm. Um, so okay. So for like uh, York Mills, yeah. Lawrence you, area. You going north? Yeah, I was going north. 
And uh, she pushed me right over, came right into the lane. She looked at me. I yelled at her <laughs> while, yeah, while she's coming f- over. And she looked at me and pulled over. So I, I, I went on the shoulder. I dropped back, got in behind her, and I pulled her over. And I, I you know, I, I was still polite. Weird. Well, you're. Well, you knew. (laughs) You knew she was. She was not totally. I said, "Did you not see me?" And she said, "Yes." Oh, fascinating. And I said, "What are you doing?" She goes, "There's enough room for both of us." Wow. And she said it very matter of factly. Oh, fascinating. And I was like, "You should not be on the road." And she was (laughs) older, much older. She had white hair. Yeah. But I was just like, I was dumbfounded. Did you give her a ticket? Uh, you know what? I, I, I don't even think I did. Yeah. I think I was just so amazed at, uh, at, at I don't know, the lack of common sense or stupidity or, or yeah. I don't know what it yeah, was. That's hilarious. But yeah. yeah. So then you. That's you, wild. So you're a motorcycle cop doing traffic. Yes. And then you were bored of that and that's not what you well, wanted. Well, I do. wanted out. I yeah. wanted out, and uh, I I did uh, I did what's called a departmental accident for a sergeant in fifty five division. He got his door creamed um, when he was getting out. Um, so I did the accident for him. The other driver I ended up arresting actually, and, uh, and and for a warrant. And then that sergeant said, "Hey, if there's anything I can do for you, let me know." And I said, okay. "As a matter of fact, there is. Get me into fifty five division, which was the beach." Okay. The, the beaches, as I used to call it. But uh, anyway, um, he called me, said he worked it out on his end for me to come over. All I had to do was get the transfer okay that at my unit, Central Traffic. And my inspector laughed at me. <laughs> he said, you're not going anywhere. He said, only the, <clears throat> only the senior guys can get out of here. So huh. I was just stuck doing my time. I worked with a bunch of great guys, um, you know, but... Doing traffic was just not for me. Doing radar and, and accidents was not for yeah. a brand new cop, especially coming from where I did, what right. the division I did. So um, a, a good friend of mine on uh, my shift uh, lived in Oshawa, and he his parents lived in the townhouse complex with the current uh, police chief from Durham at the time. Okay. So he... He paged me <laughs> back when we had pagers, and, uh, and, yeah. <laughs> and and so, so I was doing a pay duty. When I got free, I I phoned my buddy from a pay phone. <laughs> Remember those? Uh, yeah, because <laughs> we didn't have cell phones. Yeah. <laughs> so so for for reference, this is nineteen eighty nine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Eighty nine. So he said, "Get your ass out," and I quote, "Get your ass out to Durham. They're hiring." without having to quit. So I was like, oh yeah. So I didn't even, you know, I knew where Durham was and all that. And, and a bunch of my friends were just starting to buy houses and they were buying them in Pickering, but working in Toronto. At the time, my parents were both real estate agents. My dad had taken a package from his company and eventually got his real estate license and my mom and him worked together. So I knew that housing prices, I would never be able to afford a house in Toronto. I would be living in Durham or Mississauga, um, you know, and most likely Durham, um, in order to afford a house. So I was like, why? I can't believe that I was smart enough then to actually formulate in my head, you know, why <laughs> Why would I travel to Toronto right. if I'm living in Durham, if I can work in Durham? Right. 
And I wanted out of the traffic unit and Durham didn't have a traffic unit. So were you inspired to work in Toronto just because it's a big city? I grew up. Is that in, what happened? I grew up in Toronto. Oh, okay. I see. Um, I graduated high school. I knew that if I went to university that following September, that I would uh, be kicked out or fail because I was not in the school mode anymore. Uh, I just I needed a break from school. School was mostly a struggle for me, although I did well in my last two years of high school. Um, hmm. School was a struggle for me. I don't know. Uh, why but uh, right it was a struggle for me as well but i I think it was because i was bored it was a struggle for me because i just i I just didn't go (laughs) (laughs) well i didn't not go until grade 10 (laughs) so the school system in toronto was three different schools at the time you had your public school which went k to six junior high was seven eight and nine and then high school was 10 to 13 okay um Mm. so yeah, I, I struggled in, uh, in, in a little bit in public school and then more in junior high. I, I still passed, um, you know, but not my marks weren't that great. Right. But then I picked them up in the last couple of years of, of high school, mainly because I stopped caring what my parents thought and trying to hide stuff from them, like a bad mark. So I never showed them report cards till the very end. And then the last time I showed, I had great marks, <clears throat> except for I failed one course that I dropped out of, but it's still registered on my record. So I was like, fuck this. I'm, I'm going to stand up for myself when my yeah. parents tear me a new strip. Yeah. Speaking of things your parents <clears throat> didn't know, I didn't know you didn't go to high school. Well, <laughs> <laughs> there were some days. That's yeah, yes. okay. I got a few phone calls. I'm good. <laughs> But look at look at how you turned out. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's that's, okay. You know, I'm okay. <laughs> all the stories that my parents hear now or have heard over the last thirty years, yeah, shocked them a bit. You know, but it, you can laugh about it after. A hundred percent. Oh yeah, hundred uh, percent. We laugh about this stuff all the time. So I joined Durham, yeah. and uh, and I got in Durham, and then I uh, was a uniform cop uh, for about a year and a half, and I got into a plainclothes unit. Okay. Uh, it was a fledgling unit, street crime unit, it was called at the time. So it was, people call it undercover, but we weren't undercover. We just got to dress and... In a look, nice suit. No, it looked like how we want. No. Oh, okay. No, it was like street clothes, whatever. Okay. Oh, wow. I, I grew up, I grew up a uh, ponytail out of the back of the middle of my head and shaved no, my hair uh, underneath. Yeah. And I grew a long goatee. You should do that again. And I, yeah. I, I, I actually put an elastic at one point in my goatee. It was so long, so... Oh, fucking right. Um, I had some fake ID made. <laughs> and, you know, you know, so. I'm trying to wow. picture Dave like that. That's funny. Yeah. I think I still have the Money Mart photo ID card in the fake name. Um, but I did that for three <laughs> years. I'd like to see it. Back in uniform. Um, and then I uh, started applying to the tactical unit. In Durham? In Durham, in Durham. yeah. Yeah, so uh, the first time I applied, I was told at, at the outset, I wasn't going to get it because there were two guys ahead of me, um, you know, that had been trying out a couple more times. So it was kind of like, do your time. You can't just show up right. and walk on. You can't you jump know, the line. Appeal. Yeah. Right. So, um, but I, I, I made an impact. And then the second time around, um, the end of 99, I, uh, I, I, I won, won one of the two spots. And the funny thing is, is my really good friend, 
um, won basically the other spot from the team, but he was denied it by the deputy chief. The deputy chief said, you're not getting that guy. So hmm. um, it was me and another guy that I had worked with, uh, which, <laughs> God. Um, so, but anyway, we, uh, we, there were two spots, got them, and that was January, January 1st, 2000. I started with uh, the, the tactical support unit. A hostage rescue team and then um, I stayed there until my first promotion in 2012 and then I went out for nine months and came back I knew I was coming back they wanted me back and the sergeant that was there didn't want to be there anymore mm. uh, so then I came back and uh, eventually I wrote my staff sergeant's exams um, good or yeah it was good it was a right decision but it took me out of the fun. Ah, I see. So I spent a year and then I pulled the pin. So I just had over 30 years before I retired. I retired on the uh, the day before my 50th birthday. Good for you. But that was a that was a financial economical decision because I you had to leave before you were 50 in order to cash out your pension. Oh. And invest it. So I'm not getting a pension check. All my money I pulled out and privately invested. Okay, cool. And a lot of people, a lot of people were doing it at the time, but uh, a lot of people were more nervous. And, you know, I had good friends say, oh, I'm so worried about you, Dave. You know, is this the right thing? And I'm like, oh, yeah. Because I spent almost two years investigating and researching private investors or, or like companies. Right. And interviewing them. And uh, I eventually went with one uh, wealth management company. It was the best decision ever. Obviously, it good was. Okay. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, yeah good. I mean, I've seen pictures of your backyard and all this. I mean, you're obviously doing okay. It's well, I mean, uh, not that's to mention not, it's the beautiful. Boat. Yeah, yeah, the boat. Yeah, yeah. man. It, it's not. It's not solely me. Uh, my, you know, my fiance had a house. I had a house. Yeah. Uh, we sold that, and uh, she didn't want a mortgage, so we put all of our money from the sale of our homes into that house. And, right on. Uh, okay. You know, and again, that was the right decision. And that really allowed, allowed me to pull the pin as well, you know, financially. So, yeah. And I'm a big boater. So, yeah, yeah. I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I We've love seen the, the boat thing. Yeah. 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 Dude, you are Baywatch to a T, man. <laughs> well, it, it's, it, you know what? It's funny. Well, I guess again, funny to me. When I was in the traffic unit, I uh, didn't have, you know, I was living with my parents. And I was a brand new cop. And then I, uh, I, I had a sergeant that had a boat and him and his wife lived on their boat. And I grew up on Miami Vice. Right. Oh, sure. fuck yeah. So, <laughs> I identified with Don Johnson. Uh, I even had the suit. Do you have any that, socks on? Uh, today I do. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't then. <laughs> I had the, uh, you know, I had the shoes with the, the mesh shoes and the, the oh gray silver two piece suit with the t-shirt, you know, it was it, but it, those were the that was the style. Did you ever desire to drive a boat uh, as a as a police officer? Is that a thing? Yes, it is the Marine unit. But no, because the rest of the stuff that goes with the Marine unit, the Marine oh, unit okay. in Toronto, um, is a is got the right thing because they do it all. They do the ice water rescue. Hmm. They do everything. Whereas Durham's <clears throat> Marine unit, they're traffic men in the in the winter. So, oh, and then they, okay. and then some of them double as Marine unit. 
Okay, so they come back up onto the the street. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, yeah, they, I see. They, they come up out of the water, grow legs, and and go back. <laughs> right, <the street>. right, <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, so okay. I uh, that that sergeant living on his boat, uh, and me growing up on Miami Vice, and and embracing that lifestyle. Plus, I grew up on boats. Sure. Um, you know, my dad bought me my first boat when I was ten. Sorry, son. <laughs> Had you gone to school, you'd have got a boat. <laughs> but. But it's <laughs> he bought me a, a, what was called a sea fee. It was a boat. Oh, I know. Built, I know yeah, it was like a almost like a pontoon boat, a hydroplane boat, um, with no motor. Well, at the time it didn't have a motor, uh, but then we got a ten horsepower and a ten horsepower motor made that thing rocket. Like, and I was ten, yeah. so I you know I loved it. Didn't have a cottage. Used it at my aunt and uncle's, um, but that was my first taste of boating. Very cool. So that's cool. A buddy of ours actually owns the uh, the two police badges from Miami Vice. Oh yeah. What do you mean? Like Tubbs and Crocker? Was that Crockett? The, Crockett? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The two cops. Okay. The, the badges they used to carry on the show. Yeah. A buddy of ours has those two. Really? Yeah. I'm not gonna. From the props department. Out, but, or, yeah. Yeah. Directly. Yeah. Well, directly from the actors. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man! Right on. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. I don't know who that is. That sounds awesome. <laughs> well, he collects he collects uh, police badges. Okay, I see. So uh, those are two of his. Oh, all right on. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that sergeant uh, inspired me to buy a boat. So I bought my first home was a boat. Oh wow! <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, so I I bought a uh, a, a boat that I could afford. Um, not the best brand. Another Sea Fleet? Uh, no, but it was a 27 <laughs> a ca- foot cabin cruiser. Right. But it was perfect for one guy. Yeah. And I, uh, lived on it as soon as I could in the, in the late spring. 27 foot? Yeah. Is it big yeah. enough? Like, is it big inside? Oh, yeah, it had a V berth inside and, uh, and, and a table that dropped down into, into a the bed. bed. I had a okay. TV in there and, uh, um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't, I a Nintendo. Yeah, no, not. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't spend a whole lot of time on it other than uh, sleeping or going out, right. you know, on yeah, it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I was only on it in the nice weather. Right. Then for the winter, it would come out. That first winter, I moved back with my parents. I lasted a month before I wanted to. Yeah, yeah, you know, of course. So, I never think of <laughs> cops living with their parents. I, I don't know what that, that that struck me when you said that that you lived with your parents as a young cop. Well, I I was so I was when I started. It was a month before my twentieth birthday, right? And I was essentially fresh out of high school. Now that's a cadet, right? Yeah, that's the cadet. Okay, so I was still living with my parents. Uh, fast forward a year and a half, and I you know became I I you still had to kind of reapply as a. It wasn't a given that you were going to become a, a constable, right? Um, but hmm. it was pretty, pretty much because otherwise you would have been fired already. Sure. Why so, keep you? Yeah. So I became a cop, um, and you, you, you know, I was in school for thirteen weeks at the time, uh, through the summer or part, you know, halfway through the summer um, of '88, and then, you know, back to home with my parents uh, because again, you, you, you're. I didn't have any money saved and the salary, although good for the time, yeah, uh, wasn't good enough to have a house sure. without, you know, saving, saving for a while. Um, yeah. So then, uh, I started my career and then, like I said, I bought the boat in 89 and, uh, 
like I said, and then I moved back for a month. My what, parents. What's what's okay. what kind of boat do you have now? What is that you just, you bought? So I have, a, I have a thirty-two foot Baja offshore boat. Okay. Um, and that's for going fast. Yeah, it's a typically called a go fast boat. Yeah, it's yeah, a yeah, go yeah. fast spend money boat. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Man, lots. Of, it is a sweet. Now is that considered a cigarette boat? boat? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is. It's got, uh, but it's got a, a two burner stove in it, a fridge, a microwave. Had a TV in it. Oh wow! It's an old TV. Um, it's got a stand really? up head in it, uh, so you don't have to pull out the the the, 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 bed, the bed to to use the washroom. <laughs> you can. <laughs> um, oh, that's sweet. Yeah, it's it's uh, and I just this is my was my first summer with it, but I was so busy. We only got out on it four times this year. Yeah. So that's like that's what sounds like boat life. Like it's not easy to get out on the boat. Unless it's like your fishing boat. Yeah. Well, when you have other things, you know. Yeah, we have if you're a busy we have person. A, we have a pool yeah. as well. But, sure. You know. And you can't it's, put the it, boat in the pool. It, no, it's it's a, it's a weather, you know, it's a weather thing, you know. And I don't have yeah, it sitting yeah. at a marina. It sits in my driveway on the trailer. Right. Because the boat I had before was a, a Baja, but it was a little shorter and we just loved towing it around and dropping it in wherever you could, wherever we wanted. That'd be, that's yeah, great. that's yeah, a great idea. You know, yeah. so the same idea for this because storing it in a marina, which I had my first boat uh, at a marina, I just found it a huge pain in the ass to always go to that marina, and you only went so far. You know, I didn't really explore the Trent. With oh, that, I see. With that first boat, okay. Sure. Um, and then when I had kids, the boat was useless. Now, the, 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 I have my boating license. Uh, I did a show a few years ago and I needed, we had lots of boats. So I thought just in case I might as well get a boat. I don't even know how to turn a boat on. Yeah. Like I'm sure there's a key and you turn it and whatever, but I, I'm not a boat guy to drive them. Um, is my boat license the same as your boat license? It is. And because that's crazy. Is it as crazy as, well, no, as no, it if sounds? You, if you have a 10-foot little aluminum skiff and you got that motor with that arm on it behind you, yeah, it's a little different than riding what he's riding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like, and, and I mean, I don't imagine that the guy driving a cruise ship has got the same shit. No. <laughs> they, they go, yeah, they go That's a whole a other ballgame. Yeah. But honestly, um, I could buy, you know, I could buy a 50-foot boat and yeah, not have no problem. to change anything. Well, uh, so what I found fascinating is <clears throat> when I'm doing my course on one computer, yeah, I yeah. have the answers coming up on two others. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what most people do. I'm it's sure a, it's, a, it's an open book thing. Yeah. But what I didn't realize, <clears throat> and I'm still flabbergasted by this, is that there's street signs in the water. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they're not street signs necessarily, but there's all sorts of stuff. There's floats and there's colors and yeah. there's shapes and squiggles and if the squiggles. squiggles on the top it means something but if the oh. squiggles on the bottom and the top is solid it's another thing it gets mind-blowing how much you have to remember as a boater out there if you're going to do it right but what i don't understand is how they can ha well i guess it's like if they give me my driver's license i can either drive a volkswagen or a great big lamborghini lamborghini with the same like small yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. true. But it's, well, I was thinking of fleet, an old Fleetwood Cadillac. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. we go. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's the same. 
it's anyway. it's um yeah it, I'll, I'll edit all that out yeah, <laughs> no, no. Uh, honestly the uh in my opinion the pleasure craft license is a start but it's a joke yeah um you know it well, was got it was a, it was a money grab um, yeah because it doesn't it doesn't give you the ability to drive a big boat at well, all. Well, I got my license on a computer looking at two other computers. Yes. And that's what everybody does. But I've still not driven a boat. But I have it. Yeah. Yeah. I have no right jumping in a boat with people in it. How, how often have you been on the water and seen this guy oh shouldn't be? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's uh, how many times you've been on the road and think these people shouldn't be on the road you know well it, i i've been in a kayak and literally thought to myself if there was a boat coming toward me i don't know what i'm gonna do sit on still. just a kayak sit still <laughs> hope for the best yeah. fuck uh sit still and, and they're supposed to go around you because if you start trying to guess what they're gonna do you're going to lose. But then this guy's had his boat license for three days. Yeah. Uh, hopefully he sees you. Uh, <laughs> hopefully wow. he knows how to get around. You know, it's crazy. It's, uh, it, it is. It's uh, hmm. pretty. It's interesting. Yeah. You can YouTube boat fails. Like Oh, and, I do. And people. Oh, yeah. People They're at the, the marinas putting their boats <laughs> in the water. I mean, I had a boat fail, um, but it's a, it's a common one. I forgot to put my plug in. Oh. Uh, my oh. transom plug. <clears throat> Right. In Kingston, put it in the water. And it's filling uh, up with water. It's filling up with water, unbeknownst to, to Tanya. And uh, I I pull up the ramp, and I see the plug sitting in my thing, and I was like, oh, my God. And I reverse it, and I jump out screaming, you know, get Bob, you know, like, so <laughs> oh, go out, hook it up, pull it out of the water on the trailer and before it sank. I mean, it wasn't sinking that fast, but I could not believe how much water was in the transom so quick. Um, wow that's hilarious yeah so i i don't do that ever again one time and one time only so i put the plug in before i leave the driveway <laughs> man <laughs> that's crazy we have plugs in the kayaks too just leave, yeah leave, yeah leave yeah. them in yeah i'm yeah. just gonna leave them right there where they are <laughs> so you're you said you became a swat cop yeah so uh yeah january 1st 2000 i got on the team and uh now was it a busy area durham like i know that like so I, I can't even preface my statement. Uh, is, was it a busy area? It, uh, yes. Um, yes and no, I guess. If you compare it to Toronto, say. <clears throat> it was busy on the road for sure. Uh, the tactical team had just become a hostage rescue team qualified, which is you have to have certain things in order to become. There's, there's three levels of SWAT teams in, in Ontario. And that's a containment team, a tactical team, and a hostage rescue team. Hostage rescue team is the highest level. You have to have a certain number of people on your team, a certain number of equipment, and training hours and that. And it's all set st set down in the uh, policing standards. Okay. Um, so what does a containment team do? They basically contain uh, a, an armed barricade person or something, you know, a more volatile situation than just uniform can handle. But so they're not going they're, in. They're not supposed to go in. Okay. No, no. And they have the better weapons. Um, you know, if, if it comes to that, if people come out shooting, it's basically to contain the problem within that particular location. Okay. Waiting for another team that's got more training to come. Who would mm. then go in? 
potentially. Okay. Or or but this is also where it becomes what they call a protracted incident where you start getting the negotiators involved. Right. And if they come out and surrender to the containment team, then that's what happens. If they don't, then they need to call a tactical team. Um, you know, and I see. hostages mm. are involved, a hostage rescue team is called right away. Interesting. So um, we were we were under contract to several other jurisdictions to provide hostage rescue and tactical uh, so like like wa- like let's say Waterloo or or the Guelph area or something like that. Do they have? Yes, they have their own. They have their own. Yeah. Okay, and their hostage rescue as well. But there would okay. be there was uh, communities around you that didn't. Yes, Peterborough, for instance, has a tactical team. Okay. Um, but okay. they're a very busy team. And Why? They, and they have gone in drugs. Oh, okay. Drugs is a big thing. Um, hmm. so like you, serving warrants? Uh, they will, yeah. Um, you know, technically, maybe not supposed to. Okay. Um, but they are trained well. Um, and when I was on the team, we trained them as well a lot. Um, you know, and we had a really good relationship with Peterborough, uh, with their tactical team. And they've seen a lot of shit. <laughs> Those that's, guys. Yeah, that, well, that's the last thing I would have heard. Oh, yeah. Well, or I thought I would have heard. You know, you asked if it was busy. So in 2000, when I started, yeah. it wasn't very busy. We really didn't serve many warrants. Um, it, they didn't want to use us. There was this mindset of not using a sledgehammer to swat a fly. Right. And that was a quote from, you know, a, an investigator. Hmm. Um but that's really not the matter. It's you, why wouldn't you use everything you got to make it safe as quick as possible? Yeah. Especially if you didn't know what you were facing when you got there. Right. Right. So it, it was, it took us time to change that mindset, uh, from some units. Uh, and then we just got busier and busier and busier every month, every year. It just went through the roof. And it's funny talking about busy because we used to do uh, community days where, you know, all the different units would have displays right. out in front of a division. And the tactical team was a big, you know, draw sort of thing. So as, an, as a new guy on the team, you know, I was one of the guys that had to go to these community days and stand behind the table with all our weapons laid out. And answer stupid and, questions and like answer, being on a podcast. Yeah. 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 No, sure. <laughs> no, no. But uh, yeah, we got a lot of stupid questions, but <clears throat> people would come up and say, uh, so are these things you've seized? And we'd say, no, these are the weapons we use in our day to day. And they're like, oh my God, we don't have anything like that in Durham, any need for this in Durham. And it's like, okay. And I, and I would, and they'd say, are you from Toronto? Like they'd think we were the Toronto ETF and you know, I'd turn and show the shoulder flash and say, no, we're, we're here in Durham. And I said, most of the stuff that we do happens while you're sleeping. Flash the camera if you can, (laughs) you know, is that available to... Oh, no, 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 no. I oh, meant I just see. a shoulder I, I see flash. a patch. No, no, that's the my, patch. That's, yeah, my, yeah. that's one of my tattoos. Sorry. No, um, I just yeah. thought maybe that. <laughs> no, I, I, never, I, never got, uh, I, I never got I never got a tattoo of my uh, police department or tactical team on my body. Okay. But see, yeah, but okay. I, I understand that question that that person was asking because <laughs> as I sit here as a civilian, um, and I've said this many, many times, when I'm at work and I'm working with the bomb squad guys, and I ask them, are you busy? And they say, 
yes. Yeah. I'm going, whoa. Like, yeah, how, yeah, yeah. Like, it's really disconcerting as a citizen to know that those guys, you guys, are out there busting your ass every day, busy with bad guys. It's yeah. crazy. It's, it's, it is, and it's, um, you know, it's good and bad that people don't know. Right. Um, because they are, are, um, sort of coddled into feeling like Safe. nothing goes on uh, all the time. And then when there's a, a story about, you know, a bad cop story, um, then they're, you know, they're disgusted in police, but they don't know. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be in disgusted in bad cops. Right. Cause I hate that, you know, it paints us all with the same brush. Right. Um, you know, and that's not the case, you know, where you, like if you have a bad IBM employee, are all IBM employees bad? No. Right. But that's that funny make, because people do, ex they experience that. They call IBM for the first time they get a bad experience and now it's just IBM sucks. Yeah. That's, that's, for that's everything, true. Yeah, right? That's true. Yeah. You know, to some degree, that's how people seem to think, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, hmm. yeah. 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 And, and, and that's unfortunate because if you're like, let's face it, there's lots of people that don't like their job and then they do yeah, their company, true. their employer such a disservice by being the Absolutely. first face or voice of that company. True. You know, so, hmm. um, but yeah, we just, uh, we exploded like uh, as far uh, over the years, like I honestly, I mean, I was, I was in there for 17 years minus the nine months I had to come out. Uh, when I got my first promotion, um, and I th easily, there are over a thousand operations a year. Uh, no, that I, no, sorry, not a year that I, that I did. Okay. Um, so if there's 365 days in a year, yeah, there, there were some years where I counted the, the calls we did, which were actual tactical calls, uh, between warrants and, and other things. Um, high risk incidents over 200. Wow, man. So, you know, that's not one a day. So now what, what <clears throat> define, <throat> define what, what a, um, high risk incident is, uh, suicidal person, okay. uh, armed and barricade, um, and, uh, other armed person calls somebody with a knife, somebody with a gun, a domestic dispute with violence. Sure. Um, you know, those are, those are situations where you do need, uh, a, a lot of the time, a higher level of training and a higher, you know, degree of, of, you know, I'll call them weapons, but you know, different things at your disposal, you know, uh, knock on wood. Um, we never in my time on never took a life. Okay. And I, you know, now that I've said that, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's just, and that's not a knock against teams that have, it's the, just dealing the with job. the shit you're dealt with, hundred percent. you know, and you don't ask for it. Um, but I mean, the ultimate happens. goal really is that no life needs to be taken. The successful conclusion, um, non, you know, of every event where everybody goes home. Absolutely. You know, or to a hospital or, you know, like the, the subject. Yeah. That yeah. Sort yeah. Of thing. Get them the help. That they need. Until it gets to the point where you can't. <clears throat> yeah. And then that yeah. too then is a successful uh, operation because 
Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there, there's that saying, I'd rather be judged by 12 than carried by six. Absolutely. You know, big time. And, and people, you know, you've heard it. Everybody's heard it, right? Like armchair quarterbacks, you know, a cop's got a fraction of a second, like literally a fraction of a second to make a decision, a life and death decision. And they will be scrutinized over days and weeks and months and, and, everything i'm sure it's destroyed careers absolutely absolutely i i you know um yeah that would send me off on another tangent one of your previous guests talking about his career i could tell what he did really had a bad effect on him so much so he quit yeah Um, yeah you know and i could tell it still affects him to this day it does it does for sure um you know and i can't imagine and i came on around sort of that same time so I know what he's talking about. I also figured out the police department. Sure, of course, everybody. <laughs> That's it. That was easy. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there, there, there is, and there were a lot of cops, you know, that came up much earlier. Like I was trained by guys that had been on for 10 or 15 years before me. So um, policing was done differently then. You know, totally as, as when I was a young cop, different than when I was an older cop. Yeah. A buddy of mine was a sergeant in, uh, not a buddy of mine, the father of a buddy of mine, uh, years in the sixties, I guess, maybe the seventies in London. And he told me, he said back then, if he saw somebody he didn't like uptown, you just walk up to him, hit him and ask him why he's up there. <laughs> Jeez. Like <clears throat> times are different. <laughs> yeah. And, and not good. Um, you know, some of the old ways of policing, um, do I think they're going to come back? Not in, you know, not entirely, but the pendulum has swung so far to the right, I guess, that it has to come back at some point or it's going to be total chaos. I had a conversation the other day with some friends who work in, uh, so uh, I guess the legal system, justice system, and they assured me there's no such thing as a justice system in Canada. Hmm. Uh, I <sighs> give you a story. Um, I, when I was in plainclothes unit, uh, there was a, a house parties back then were, were huge and flyer parties. You remember that? Like yeah. the word would go out, Yeah, totally. you know, somebody's having a party and you know, there'd be 300 people there. Oh yeah. Remember that. So, there was uh, a, a party at one place and that exact thing happened. And a guy um, that wasn't well liked, I guess, showed up to this party and uh, they threw him in the pool at this, at this affluent family's home and the parents were away. Uh, so it was a teenage son having the party. Anyway, they were throwing beer bottles at him and cans and that in the pool, like stopping him from getting out of the pool. And at one point when he did get to the side, somebody put their foot on him and kept pushing him down and, and, and keeping him from getting out of the pool to the point where he almost drowned. They, they pulled him out when he could no longer like hold himself above water. water. (laughs) Um, and he managed to get his way out of there and he made a police report. Sorry. He made a police report and it came to my unit and I was investigating it. 
and uh, I laid charges, um, you know, and they were very serious charges. On how many people do you lay charges? Well, I laid charges on the, um, well, the guy holding the party was one of them. Yeah. Um, I think there were, I think he was really the only one. I think there was only one that I could actually have enough evidence on to charge. There were others involved, 100%, but nobody that I could have enough evidence to, to convict on. This one was locked. And I never even got a call to court to testify. And I was watching that one because it was probably the most serious charges I had ever laid uh, up to that point. And, um, and under the criminal code, like we're talking jail time more than five years. Jesus. And I never got called to court. And I, I kept looking into it, looking into it. And then I see that it was, um, uh, not thrown out. It was, uh, there was like a, um, basically a peace bond entered into and it wasn't on the victim saying like withdrawing or recanting his story. Hmm. It was the crown attorney wheeling and dealing for, a for an affluent father for a win, but not a win in my opinion. Okay. And I have no idea why I never spoke to that crown attorney. I was just, I, I actually, I think I did make a phone call, but never got a return phone call. Um, you know, and not that my talking to them was going to change anything because what was done was done. Right. But they, they let it, essentially let it go. Like, so I, the, that's got to happen so much. Oh uh, yeah, it, it does. And well, it's, it's a, that's why cops are so, um, disgruntled a lot with I, the justice yeah. system. It's a revolving door, right? We see the same offenders over and over and over and over again. Yeah, another friend of mine worked for his father's <clears throat> construction company. He became a cop. Was really excited about becoming a cop, and then a couple, three years into being a cop, quit, went back to his construction company because of that very fact that this, he was arresting the same guys on a weekly basis, and felt he wasn't being of value. He wasn't doing anything. And and that's unfortunate because he was probably a good cop, Um, you know, but you can't let that, you have to, you can't take that home with you every day. It's like a lot of the stuff we see or saw. Um, If you take it home with it, it will kill you. It will burn you up from inside. Well, but what satisfies you? Putting them in custody. After that, after that, it's not my issue. I've done everything I can do, you know, the right way. Yeah, that's true. And, and I put them in jail, even if it's for the night. Um, you know, you stop that offense, just stop the continuation of the offense type of thing. Mm-hmm. And that is my, and then I go home and I don't, I don't live it. I don't, you know, I've seen a lot of death. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, you know, people can be fucked up, you know, and, uh, dealing with a lot of demons and, I'm, I'm amazed at what the human mind is capable of as far as doing harm to yourself or others. Um, it just, it, it, it fascinates me, but it concerns me as well. Right. Um, but if I take it home with me, you know, I'll remember, you don't forget I mean, I forgot a lot. I forgot more stories than I remember. But that that but stress for sure it plays on 
different people different ways. Yes. It, it depends on your physical and mental makeup all your life kind of thing. Yeah, 100%. And, and uh, debriefing is a huge part of things. And uh, I have a buddy that was never debriefed on an incident, and I'm certain it, uh, it had a huge effect on him. You talk to him and he'll say no. Um, but I've known him very well for many, many years and I've watched how his life how has unfolded. Um, and he's still a very happy go lucky guy. I've just seen it in other ways and I'm sure it's had an impact on him. What happens in the debriefing process? You go through what each person did. Um, like as far as a team goes, we would sit around our table like this and everybody had a, a number assigned to them. So it was like alpha one, alpha two, alpha three, or, you know, that okay. sort of thing in the, and that's for the purposes of the lineup and your, your position in the lineup and, and your job, mm -hmm. what you were assigned to do. So hmm. you would start with, uh, usually the containment guys and they would say what they did and saw or what they fucked up on. Right. And then you would start with the, the entry team and starting with the entry team, you would say what you did. And it was, you know, some debriefs got like, oh, I did this and I did that. And it was like, you know, here, let me pat you on the back. And that's not what a <laughs> debrief was for, right? Totally. The debrief was, was for <clears throat> what could you do better? What would, you know, and owning mm. up to mistakes. And if you didn't own up to something that you fucked up on and the guy after you saw that you fucked up, there was problems because hmm. not, hmm. not owning up to your screw ups. That's it's, you know, all it's, it's cause for distrust. So, so in some regard, uh, the debriefing is each individual maybe having an opportunity to talk out yes. any issues that they might be having. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then if there's further issues, you know, that they're personally going through, there's tons of help that you can get. Um, there's tons of assistance you can get. You still have to, um, access it. But there was a time for coppers that they wouldn't come forward. Oh God. It's, yeah. I'm a man and I'm going to take this. Yeah. I'm going to take it home and have a bottle of whiskey. Yeah. And that causes issues. Yeah. My, has, has it changed to some degree? Like, oh yeah. 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 Um, hugely. And some people abuse that, <laughs> um, you know, where, they'll use an incident that somebody else was involved in and not themselves. Can I say for certain that they weren't affected? No, because I'm not in their brains. Well, but, that's interesting. But um, I've known people that were not working when an incident went down, but it was their shift that was working. And, and they claim to they, have been affected yes, by that. Yes. Yeah. Fascinating. What? Yeah. What? Sorry. What for? Why? To get just time to get off the, work. Time, oh, yeah, just okay. You, you can't help but believe that it's to get time off work, to get um, some other position within the police department where you're earning a hundred thousand dollars and not doing doing uh, anything. Um, you know, or doing something that uh, a civilian could do at a much lower salary. Um, How many guys get to like your level though, and actually want that time? 
and stuff. I mean, I feel like you got to do a lot of work just to get to this level. What's the sense? And yeah, that never happened with guys from my team. Okay. 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 That happened with like some people in uniform. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's sort of, you know, that makes more sense. Yeah. And and maybe it's happened with guys that were guys or girls that were on. Yeah. We're certainly not dissing anybody that no, it happens to. No. Of course. Um, you know, and and nobody nobody knows for sure because you're not inside the person's head. But by the same token, there are millions of civilians out there that are scamming insurance oh. companies. I have a friend who's a private investigator, and that's almost exclusively what he deals with. Oh yeah, is yeah. Uh, insurance fraud. I forget Crazy. what uh, I forget what uh, TV show it was. It might have been an Oprah show or something where they uh, were in a city in the states. And they uh, faked a, uh, a transit bus accident. And they showed people on the sidewalk running and jumping on to oh, that man. bus. Oh, man. After the collision. It was a totally fabricated collision. So actors on the bus claiming hurt. And it showed people jumping. And the, the driver opened the both doors because in an accident... That's what they're supposed to do. And it showed people from the street jumping onto the bus and then claiming injuries. Hey. Wow. Did it work? Uh, yeah. Probably. And, uh, we, and we could do that. Th- there was a really Let's bad incident it. with the TTC <laughs> subway, a fire. And it happened here. And oh, the only crazy. reason they the only reason they caught a number of the people was because they uh, they um, you know, they kept out what direction the train, the, the subway was going. And so that everybody that was putting in a claim was interviewed and people screwed up. The, 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 the fraudsters screwed up the direction. They just oh, guessed. God. Oh I, yeah. It was, uh, I was on the southbound blah, blah, blah. And it was the northbound train that <laughs> caught fire or whatever. So <laughs> ridiculous. Man, there must be so much silly shit. I mean, I watched that. I watch YouTube videos of people like, uh, pouring an oil or something on a floor in a grocery store and then pretending to slip on this shit, you know, and that's the, that is really the most hilarious, embarrassing. It's, it's embarrassing as hell. It's gotta be for these people. The, the world of uh, lawsuits has come (laughs) from the States, you know, and has moved to Canada for sure. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's ridiculous. But, but, uh, yeah, as far as, uh, getting back to the tactical team um you know you just uh it's a real team and uh as you saw in uh in in the in the tv show in mayor of kingstown yeah you know we tried to bring it to that level do you guys ever stand on stairs together and just blast through walls yep (laughs) (laughs) right on okay yeah that was uh that was that was episode three right yeah. Yeah. Well, that was the bad guys blasted through the wall. So uh, I was fortunate enough to be a bomb technician as well. Um, so with that, I got to go on courses for explosive forced entry, and I became uh, um, uh, a uh, senior bomb tech and and advanced explosive forced entry technician. And uh, we got to blow through walls and blow through doors and windows and things like that. It's it's. Blowing shit up is pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It's a lot of fun. It's, you know, how can you have a bad day at work when you're shooting guns or blowing up stuff? Totally. Sounds like yeah. the stunt world. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Hanging out with your special effects guys. Blowing yeah, stuff man. up. Exactly. <laughs> and I did, yeah. I think I, I, I think I mentioned this to Shawnee as well, but, uh, uh, and, and, and Adam maybe, but I mean, it was, um, 
it's incredible being on on a, a team with guys like you. Um, I I I'm, I work with stunt guys all the time, and and our industry is awesome, and I I love everyone uh, I get to work with. Um, but there is a level of uh, competition, and and there's there's other things that go into it. And um, when you guys came out, uh, and I got to train with with you guys, um, the constant degree of like brotherhood is 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 like next it's next level and the fact that we've managed to have some like we, yeah we've become really close friends yeah. in a short amount of time and uh uh i don't i don't i don't know i don't have that with with anybody really in my industry it, it's it's amazing it's amazing uh you guys are incredible and i imagine that when you're on the streets and you're doing the real thing that if you didn't have that it just wouldn't work. hundred percent. There's no way. Um, you know, it's uh, it was so great to have a few people that hadn't experienced it. You know, like yourself and uh, Derwin, right, right, and uh, and Nolan. Nolan. I mean, Nolan's a reservist. Yeah. You know, so he's had some of the training in that. Um, you know, but not to that level. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adams had a lot more. Um, you know. So it was really great to be able to, you know, Adam trained, was kind of the lead trainer, um, you know, and, and shout out to Adam. He was because, you know, I had my reservations um, because military and police do things differently for sure because you're operating in a different theater. Sure. But Adam's training was next level within the military. Um, so he was bang on. And that was great to see. So, because I knew Sean, um, and I knew Gord, and I knew Casey, um, yeah, would yeah. be on the same page as me, sort of thing, or I would be on the same page as them. It was a matter of getting everybody on the same page. And it was good. I mean, Adam did a nice job, and he also, if you guys spoke up and said, uh, "Well, you know, mm-hmm. in the city, we kind of do it like this or whatever," he was pretty fluid with with you guys. You know, hundred percent. We definitely needed somebody to be the sort of the LI, the lead instructor. Right. But yeah, Adam deferred uh, when he knew it. You know, there were no egos. No, it was which awesome. Was, which Absolutely. was awesome. So Adam deferred to, to me or Sean or Gord, you know, whenever, or, or even Casey, whenever the time, you know, it was opportune. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, so it, it mean, worked out. me a ton of shit. Fantastic. Yeah. 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 Sh- and shout out to Mayor of Kingstown on Paramount Plus. Uh, Hugh Dillon and uh, Taylor Sheridan. Absolutely. Everybody should Absolutely. go have a look. I, I try to, uh, you know, lots of people ask, you know, what I've been, because they know I've been involved in the television film industry for a number of years. Right. Uh, so they've asked if I've been doing anything lately. And then I say, you know, I kind of slide in there about last year and they're like, oh, what's that? And I feel like well, you haven't heard of it. Where have you been? Living <laughs> living in a box? You know? <laughs> but, but the unfortunate thing is so far it's only on Paramount Plus. Yeah. Um, you know, so more people will get it and that. But, uh, you know, a lot of people are say, yeah, I'm going to check it out. And it's cheap. five ninety nine for a month. You could binge watch it. Yeah, totally. You know, yeah, fuck um, it. You know, and cancel. I, it's easy. <laughs> easy. Yeah, if you wanted to. So... But uh, it was so much fun. Yeah, it's great. And uh, it was, man. Y- yeah, you're you're right about the team thing, because I don't know anything else. You know, my whole career has been teams, essentially, even uniform. 
you're with working with the same people you know, day in and day out. And I had a permanent partner when I was on, in uniform on the road. And, uh, w- you know, we were like twins. We knew what each other was thinking every moment that we went and yeah. did something. So you should. Totally. Yeah. I agree. And, and that is, you know, because a lot of people complained about permanent partners. Well, why do they get to be partners, you know? Oh, because you work well together. Maybe you'd have a permanent partner if you weren't such a dick. So <laughs> by using the term permanent partner, you're implying that there's partners that are not permanent yeah like you would you would get partnered up depending on the shift you were working like night shift oh so you come into work and you're partnered up with this person or that person somebody you may not even be aware no no oh no you would know them because they were on your shift you they were on your platoon okay but you wouldn't necessarily they weren't always in the car with you they weren't yeah like you weren't with them every night or every you know shift where you were partnered with somebody where as when i uh, went back to uniform after plain clothes I was with one guy okay. uh, for the next five years, you know, except for when he was off or I was off right. on night shift or whatever. Then we got somebody else and we usually gave each other shit for taking the night off. You left me with this person or that person, you know, but, uh, but no, it was, uh, it's so team is, is all I've known. And, and a lot of people will have their differences of opinion of team. Um, but when you're working with that team, it doesn't matter if you really like them as a person. You have well, to you like want to go home as, as much as you have to respect them. Yes. Yeah. 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 And if you don't have their back, then they don't have yours. It kind of has to work that way in order for you to even survive well, uh, the shift and head home safely and get everything done. hundred percent. Like I noticed, everybody noticed when you're not busy you get under each other's skin and you're bitching about this and that. And you know, it, it just becomes a bitch fest. Like an old married <laughs> yeah, couple. Exactly. You know, <laughs> in the, in the office and that you're complaining, but then when you're busy working, yeah. um, it's like being in a band. You're glad that person's yeah. there. Yeah. You're glad that person's there. You don't have time to, to worry about the petty shit. You know, uh, this guy's not cleaning up his area of responsibility or taking care of the vehicles or things like that. Um, you know, so, but like I said, hmm. I was team for the whole time I was there. And so this was just another SWAT team. So what was it like training? Like, uh, did how often were you keeping up and what kind of stuff were you learning? Uh, we trained, my team trained twice a week. Um, one day was supposed to be weapons. The other day was supposed to be tactics. And then if you had a specialty, like if you were a sniper, that was, you did that training with the other snipers. Okay. If you were a bomb tech, like I was, you went and did your own bomb training, um, on, on another day. Okay. Um, repelling, you know, we would repel as a team, but if you were a repel master, uh, or a repel instructor, like I was, you had to do separate training and maintenance and that of all that stuff. So I see we were one team. Uh, whereas Toronto is six or seven teams. Um, oh, wow. Okay. So what, what's one team consist of? Well, we were 16 uh, guys and uh, two supervisors um, and, then, and then a staff sergeant. So we were a total of 19 at its peak. Um, hmm. you know, but you were divided into two halves for the purposes of covering shifts. Um, so it'd be eight and eight. I see, but but that, but for a call, uh, everybody came together. 
Like, so all 16 of you were doing that call. Even if it was a, even if it was a small apartment, you were all going there because you don't know what you're going to encounter when you go through that door. Okay. So what is, so this is 24 hours around the clock. We're on call. We were on call okay. 24-7, 365 days a year. That's why I, I, I like to joke and bug Sean um, uh-huh. because I, you know, he talks about we were the only full-time, the ETF was the only full-time team in North America, which technically they were. But I always bug him and say, well, you weren't really full-time because at the end of the day, at the end of your shift, you went home. You could get drunk. You could go to the cottage. Uh. You could do all that. Uh, whereas I, I like to joke that we were full time because your time off was not your own time. You were, I on, see. you were on call. Okay. So you'd go home, start your dinner and get called out. Could you do anything? Could you go vacation? What, what was the deal then? Yeah. You had to book off call and we only. And they would fill a guy and fill your. No, we would only have so many spots for mm. being off call and it was four. At the time, we increased it a bit for sanity's sake. Um, yeah, because wow, guys were vying for time off all the time. So you booked off call and you went away on vacation. Okay, and for four days, and then eventually well, no, you could or or whatever, <laughs> yeah, or or whatever your vacation was, you right, know, right, you'd go I to the see, Caribbean okay. or whatever. But honestly, you were you were kind of told when you came on the team that if you had a cottage, be prepared to not be going much. And this was a condition of, uh, it, was, it was an unwritten rule, uh, a condition of you coming onto the team that you were going to be available. So if you were taking off every time you were on a day off or two days off or four days off, if you were taking off to your cottage and your cottage was two hours or three hours away, you were no good to the team. Yeah, yeah. So we had that rule. You, you had to be within uh, two hours Outside the region or an hour outside the region. I was an hour outside the region. So if you could respond from wherever you were and be in the region within an hour, you didn't have to be off call. Um, okay. But otherwise you did. And and being on call meant you couldn't drink because you can't show up to a call out. Of course not. With a couple of beers on your breath. Can you still, you can still be mm. paid? Oh, you, you, yeah, we didn't get paid uh, for being on call. <clears throat> we got paid a, a detective constable wage. So it was uh, 6%, I think, 6% higher than a first-class constable. Right, but while you're on call for those three or four days. Yeah. You're no, not, you were on call 24-7, 365. Copy that, but you're not getting paid on the days you're off. It's not, Well, yeah. you, were, you were salary. Okay. So oh, got, I see. All right. Yeah, we were right. salary, so you, you, there was no extra pay of any. You kind. were just paid for being that guy. Yeah, you That's... were paid for being that guy, and you got six percent more than than the guy on the road, because you were giving up your life, which honestly was not enough. No. No. And when I became a sergeant, I only got eight. I got eight percent more than a guy on the road for being a sergeant, but I only got two percent more than the guys on the team. So I didn't, they got six and I got eight for being a supervisor, for taking all the, the, wow. way, the weight wow. of the world on your car. Okay. That's like being a stunt coordinator. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your performers uh, are getting paid way more yeah. and you're taking all the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true and it's messed up. Um, you know, but, 
but uh, the union or association, uh, they have to fight for the best of what's best for everybody, not what's best for 16 guys or girls. Sure. You know, so that's how it goes. Do you feel that, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. We, we, we all need you. Uh, do you feel that the higher ups making uh, decisions to pay you guys and, and all this stuff, do you feel like they care? Do you feel like they are doing the right, yeah. doing everything they can? When you get to a certain level in policing, uh, you're a politician. However, there are some that don't forget where they came from. And the good thing about Durham for a long time was that all the higher ups had been on the tactical team. Oh, wow. Right up to the chief. Oh, damn. Who was my first team leader at the time. Um, He's not the chief anymore. He's he's retired. But uh, since he was my team leader and, and team sergeant for a while... I, I got to listen to him, what how he thought about management. <laughs> and, and he was a very um he was a very gruff in your face, you know, demanding the best. Uh and he was a very good mentor. Um, you know, and I liked his philosophies and his way of, of being a team leader. Like he was didn't take any shit and he expected the best. Um and then when he became the chief and I got promoted, I had my 15-minute conversation with him of what do you want me to do, and I reminded him of a report and a study he put in when he was (laughs) a team sergeant (laughs) on tenure, on getting guys out. And I, you know, it was kind of like a, you know, a little dig, but because they were trying to push guys out after 10 years For, for rotation to get you know, new blood in fresh. Like, honestly, it's sometimes it's like little league. It's like, uh, it's like it, everybody needs a turn at bat. No, they don't. Do you know how many thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars they spent on just me in training, in training and courses, extra courses. I went all over. Yeah, the why States. wouldn't they want, they make this to massive, hold you for yeah. as long as possible. A massive investment. Because Just to get rid of you. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, partially because they want you to be promoted or they want you to get yourself promoted so that you can transfer these leadership skills <clears throat> to other people. Would it be a case of um, hmm. funding? Like, no. We won't get any more funding for this if we don't nope. need to train anybody. Nope. Okay. No, budgets were budgets and uh, you had to approve your budget every year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we did have uh, at one period of time a, a, a high-ranking um, inspector. Was he a superintendent? I can't remember where. He, uh, he wanted to move people out just to move people out to get younger, fresh blood in Hotter there. looking and it, cops. And it yeah. backfired on them huge with one incident. And I loved it because <laughs> they used a term and, uh, culling the herd. Oh geez. And, uh, the guy who was the most senior on the team at the time took that very offensively cause he was in fantastic shape. And they were basically like, well, you're getting old and lame there. You know, I won't say his name, but he was like, oh, fuck you. I'm taking this to the top, you know, as far as fighting it. Sure. And he, wow. he, he kept his spot on the team, you know, um, because of that. Human rights. Like, I mean, 
there, there comes a time where you have to say, you know, that's, that's bullshit. You want to, you want to move me out just cause you think I'm too old. Well, when they're going through human rights and all this other, I mean, obviously it's political. They don't know what you're doing. They don't know what you feel when you're out there. They don't know any, no, anything about any of this. No. And you must go, fuck, you you know, nothing. (laughs) You have no idea what you're talking about. That was the problem with having people in certain positions of power that knew nothing about the team, you know? So on the other flip side of the coin, having people in power that had come from the team made my career on the team very easy. Yeah. That just makes a lot more sense. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I, I don't mind saying it. I was well respected by the higher ups, especially because they had come from the team and I had a good reputation. Stop being so cocky. (laughs) So, so I was given, I, I was given a wide breadth. Yeah. And they believed, and, and besides, I didn't bullshit the system or try to manipulate it. You know, I, I was cut and dry. We need this. We need that. Here's why we need this. Here's why we need that. This makes sense. This doesn't make sense. And, uh, you know, I, I got in a lot of shit, um, you know, but yeah. t- tongue lashing shit. Like yeah, basically totally. who the fuck is floody to, you know, say that. Or whatever. Well, I'm sorry. It is what it is. Yeah, you were out here once. Pay attention. Yeah, yeah. Like when we got our uh, armored vehicle, this was a good one. They wanted to paint it white and put deckling all over it. What? Oh, yeah. Like M&M's, get some sponsors. (laughs) (laughs) No, the Durham Durham Regional (laughs) Police deckling (laughs) is uh, like chevrons or uh, like reflective uh, arrows. The whole side of the vehicles, police front and back, the Durham Regional Police crest, big and huge. It'll look good at night. And we wanted this thing that was donated to us from a company in London. Um, We had to buy it for a dollar, but they donated it to us. It was an armored vehicle, a light armored vehicle. And, uh, you know, everybody was up in arms about why do the police need a military vehicle? Well... It, it, it wasn't about going to it's war. It's not it in the a, Durham region. Yeah. What? It, it was about safety. It sure. was about officer safety. And we used that thing. And it was fantastic. And we used it in great ways. Like we didn't drive over houses and things like that. That, you know, people kind of thought. But anyway, anyway I, I could go on about. I could go on about stories people? about people complaining the... that we had this thing. Right. Oh, I saw them at Tim Hortons with that thing. Oh, I'm sorry. They're human. They want a coffee. Yeah. They have to drive it. This thing had to be driven, you know, so that it, the engine worked. You totally. Know? So that was part of it. It kept it, it kept the batteries charged that whole nine yards, you know, and people would complain about cops going to the coffee shop. Well, are they not allowed to have a coffee because they're driving this thing? You don't right. want, you don't want to see it because you don't want to believe it's out there. I did an episode of uh, the TV series Rescue 911. Yeah about a copper dog that got shot. And I was playing the bad guy that shot the copper dog. I played the dog. <clears throat> yeah, and he did a good job. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, we worked all night. And the real Hamilton tactical team was there to yeah. take me down. Right. And uh, God, it was like quarter to eight in the morning, I was wrapped. And I walk out from behind the house. And it's in a really nice area. And there's this Hamilton SWAT armored vehicle sitting in the middle of the road not against the curb in the middle of the road it was kind of just sitting there yeah and this little door opens up and goes randy you want a beer 
Really? I said, yeah. And I jumped in the car. I'm, I'm sitting in the tactical car with uh, three other coppers uh, drinking a beer in the morning at quarter to eight. It was awesome. <laughs> Dave's like, fuck. Yeah. Now you know this happens. Yeah. Ah, well, a lot of your guests have said that cops are humid too. A hundred percent. So yeah. And obviously those guys weren't working. No, you no, they were, like, no, they were off. You know, but people are going to, no matter what, people are going to judge. Totally. Um, you know, for, for being human. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I got in trouble because they wanted to paint this thing white and I freaked out and wrote a letter and I bypassed my supervisor, which was wrong. Um, and wrote the letter to the, uh, the inspector and the superintendent, basically a few people so that I wasn't having a pissing match so that more than one person knew that I had written this. And, uh, I, I said what a stupid thing that is to do we've got this vehicle it's supposed to be uh you know um somewhat surreptitious you know it's not a patrol vehicle totally so uh <laughs> you know i i complained that they were going to paint it white and decal it up and uh i got a, sh a lot of shit for that they wanted me to write a my staff sergeant wanted me to write a letter of apology and i said no um i won't i said i'll i'll apologize for the format in which i did it but not for why I was doing it. Um, and then they said, okay, we're going to paint it gray, like a medium gray. So, I mean, I, I, I didn't have a choice. It wasn't, <laughs> hey, Dave, are you okay with this color? Right. Yeah, you know? <laughs> but I was better with that. But they were still going to do the deckling. And I said, this is insanity. And I said, you want to put a bright reflective deckle on the door where if one of the officers inside gets out of that door, it's already a target right. for somebody in the dark because there's always light, sure. you know, bouncing off this thing. So, yeah. so they went with subdued <clears throat> and they did, they didn't put the chevrons down the whole side. So little battles I won, you know? Jeez, man. So, yeah. So I was going to ask you what their rationale was for the white. Because in policing, it's all about visibility. Not at more, night with you guys. No, no exactly. Um, but for the politicians, and that sometimes includes chiefs and deputy chiefs, ah. they want to appear as though there's more police out there than there really are. And if you, if you <clears throat> have ever driven in Toronto, I don't know if they still have it, but their parking control officers, so bylaw officers, drove vehicles that were marked up with all the Toronto police deckling. There was only a wording on the, the side at the back that said parking enforcement. Oh, interesting. So just no, to for, appear for, thicker to appear. Yeah. So you see this parking, like lots of bylaw people, parking enforcement driving around in what I would call marked vehicles it may make hmm. a certain amount of public feel safer, you know, and people would flag them down because they wouldn't know the difference. Yeah. They just see the deckling and it's a Toronto police officer, but it's not. So now flip the coin and picture, put yourself in the position of a bandit that's just done something really bad, runs out onto the street or whatever to, to make his escape or her escape. And, and they see a marked vehicle, that's a target. Yeah. 
I took a, I took hmm. a uh, marked vehicle, brand new police car. Our chief uh, let my buddy and I take it to uh, Indianapolis, Indiana for the World Police Fire Games back in, uh, in I don't know, whatever, 1998 or something. And uh, that was great. Uh, you know, what a great chief for giving us this marked vehicle. And so here we are driving down through the States in a marked police car. No From gun. Canada. No gun. Oh, true. <laughs> no gun. We're going to the gas stations. And do you know how many times people came up to us asking us for information and direction? Because <laughs> they don't look. They're not like... They don't read the Where's car. Where's Durham Regional Police? Or right. see anything about Canada on it? Or anything like that? Now, it didn't say anything about Canada, but they just see a police car. Yeah. Ontario so, license plate. Yeah. Yeah. So... Hmm. They're going to do the same with a parking enforcement car. Sure. They're just going to see police decals and that's it. I need help. You're the one that's going to help me. Or or I'm trying to get away and you're in between me and freedom. I'm going to shoot you. Now, has it happened in Toronto? I don't know because I don't watch right. the news anymore. But I'm sure there have... I mean, there's a lot of parking enforcement officers that have been assaulted for sure. I mean, but that's assaulted because they're giving tickets. It's an, it's an interesting perspective that <clears throat> they, they they mark up the parking enforcement trucks, wagons, whatever you call these little things that they drive around in. Uh, but to the public, they're everywhere, so it looks like the cops are everywhere. Yeah, yeah, and it's nobody nobody will admit that it's to make it appear as though there's more cops out there. Nobody will admit that. They'll they'll just say it's so that they can you know, park where they need to park. Well, who else is going to ticket or tow a parking enforcement car, whether it's a plain blue one? <laughs> That's know. true. That's true. So. I mean, does it, if, if it appears that way, does that also mean that the criminal thinks the same thing? Wow, oh, there's a lot of cops out here. Like it's, like, or, like it's almost like a deterrent. Yeah, like a yeah, deterrent. hundred percent. There, I, I'm, I say a hundred percent, but I'm sure that, you know, like, that works. You know, you're degree, not, yeah. if you're doing something, if you're about to, to steal uh, a bicycle, you're not going to take it because of that truck there. Yeah. Or, or do a drug deal. Right. And yeah. you see a, a parking enforcement car, you're not looking to see that. Oh, it's only parking enforcement. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you know, let's still deal. They're right. Gonna, right. Right. They're going to go out of here, you know, so for sure it, it, it is a deterrent and works. Huh. But that's interesting. You know, it's w window dressing. Yeah. You know, hire more cops. But everybody yeah. wants to slash budgets. Yeah. You know. Um, mm. so. Well, it's getting kind of hard out there because uh, when I, we work with a lot of young coppers. And one of my first questions in a conversation is, uh, what made you do this? <laughs> like, are you sticking around? Like, why did yeah. you do this? It's just getting worse out there for. Yeah. So luckily, one of the jobs I do now is uh, I'm a consultant for my old police department and, and I do backgrounds. So I get to, you know, when the, somebody gets to the final stage of, of hiring and it's not just police officers, it's anybody that applies to the police department. Uh, they have to go through a background check. Sure. So I'm like that sort of final stage and I go through their background and I, I applied for that position because I loved my job. I absolutely loved my job and I want to see good people get hired and I take it very personally. So I'm involved in hiring 
new cops to this you know, day to the, yeah, I've been doing it for, well, I've been retired for five and a half years and I started it about a year after. Oh, wow. So I've been doing it about four and a half years. And, Very cool. Yeah. How, how political is that? Like, uh, are they saying, you know, we need uh, this and we need that uh, to give variety and diversity to the... I, can, I mean, there must be some of that, eh? I can honestly say that in... Well, first of all, in my position, I don't... I don't uh, I'm not... don't have a hand in whose file I get, but ah. I do know they are honestly going after the best person for the job. Good. And which is amazing because we've all heard those stories of, you know, like if you're a white male, you're not getting hired. Right. Yeah. That's it's, it's not true. At least in, in Durham. Yes. Um, I would say that they want as much diversity and I don't disagree with that. Um, as long as, as that's possible, whoever gets the job can do the job. Right. They still have to pass all the same tests. Sure. Um, hmm. You know, so if there is a department out there where there's a higher up saying, make sure this person gets on, it's not, it's not the one I work for. Copy. Um, you know, they're, we're, we're putting through quality people. Some, and my job is to make sure that, that someone doesn't slip through the cracks like we've had. Um, you know, so I take it very personally how, and I follow some of my, I call them mine, you know, because I, I do <laughs> yeah, like, totally. I, I take in like a little fatherhood or ownership of them. Um, you know, and, and I, I follow them for a bit and I'll email them. How's it going? How's your training going? Like usually through their Elmer. And, uh, because I, I love to hear that they're performing well. I talk to the people in the use of force branch cause they're all <laughs> friends of mine still. Um, I'm still in touch with that side of things. So I get to hear, you know, whether they're doing good or not. And yeah, but uh, that's good. That's great. Yeah. It's, I think it is, I think it is for sure. And it, uh, it keeps me connected, you know, because everything I do now in post-retirement has been related to my career. I didn't plan it that way. Right. But it's like, so easy. Even working in the movie business. 100%. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, we started, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, we started uh, supplying special skills extras to the film industry probably 2006, so 16 years ago. Um, you know, we were living together after I got divorced and uh, we were sitting around thinking, oh, you know, what can we do to make extra money? And we decided we were going to be consultants. Nice. Because we were sick of watching TV shows where the cops looked horrible. <laughs> yeah, I think I was a part of a lot of those. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so then um, it's, it's funny because a friend of his, my roommate, uh, is a director and a producer. Um, but he was doing a lot of music videos at the time. And he uh, was doing a collaboration between, um, oh God, I forget their names, uh, a Buffalo DJ. Um, but anyway, him, him and, a, him and a, uh, an artist, a female artist, were doing a collaboration <clears throat> for a song. Um, and it'll come to me while I'm talking. But anyway, he said, he, he talked to my buddy, said, what can I do for a video? So my buddy said, why don't you do, uh, this, what the song sort of is. And, uh, you know, why don't we do a hostage rescue? So we were living at a farmhouse, uh, that was another friend of mine's, his girlfriend's uncle. 
So we're living on this big hundred acre property farmhouse with a big barn and talk about a shoestring budget. And, uh, we set up this music video of us, uh, as a tactical team. So we had all our friends, there were about eight of us and we made it look like there was a lot more as you can do. Yeah. Uh, went down to, uh, <clears throat> big shout out to Charlie Taylor, Mag went down to Mag who we had, who we knew, um, from doing pay duties on movie sets and that. But so my, my buddy, um, went down Glenn, he went down to Mag to, I rent- met Glenn. He's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Went down to Mag and rented the guns and, and, uh, uniforms. And Charlie asked him, what are you doing? And he said, well, we're making a music video. And he's like, oh, cool. <laughs> and, uh, he says, you know, who you, who's doing it? Like what he asked the whole idea of it. And Glenn said, well, you know, it's all guys from the tactical team, you know, and we're going to play a tactical team and go rescue this girl. <clears throat> and, uh, he's like, what a great idea. He goes, uh, do you ever think about doing that for TV or movies? Right. <laughs> Glenn's like, no, you know, but at this time we had been talking about being consultants, but just the two of us, you know, right. like hire ourselves out. This is wrong. That's good. You know? So Charlie said, I get asked all the time if I can supply guys that know how to use these guns and be SWAT guys. He says, why don't you give me a card and uh, I'll start putting your name out there. And Glenn's like, well, we don't have cards. (laughs) (laughs) So hence, uh, tactical films was born. Okay. And, uh, we never actually made a website. We, we got the name, but it, never we never made a website we just did it by word of mouth yeah and uh, so we made this music video it turned out excellent it's still you can see it on youtube if and you again, can think of the name yeah if i could think of the name <laughs> um, <clears throat> but uh but we did this all at the farmhouse in the like the coldest weekend of the year with the most snow um one of one of glenn's buddies uh who's a friend of mine too he was a pyro guy an fx guy he actually hung the he he repelled outside the CN Tower on uh, for New Year's Eve 2000. Oh wow! It's and crazy. hung the fireworks on the CN Tower. Oh wow! So he was a pyro hmm. guy, an FX guy. He rigged up his own effects. We made distraction devices with him using black powder and pots, and uh, we just used a body from an empty body that we had. But timing was perfect. I played a sniper as one of my roles in it in the winter. So I'm dressed up in uh, my whites and I'm hunkered down in the snow and you can't see me. I'm totally camouflaged. And I had a spotter with me. So there's this sniper shot where you're looking through sort of totally the crosshairs cool, of the scope. Right. And he had this little, um, he just, he just made it a little pump with a little blood pack and he had on a toque and he was supposed to be a bad guy guarding. And, uh, so I take the shot and, uh, he gives this thing a squeeze and his hat blows off and this blood spurts out the back of his hat <laughs> and he just falls over in the snow. So it, it was like a great effects, you know, that cost 15 bucks. That's you know, awesome. As opposed to like in the movies where it's cost thousands. And, uh, and then we did this whole hostage rescue thing. And the other great thing, which you probably don't know about Glenn. He is an amazing, amazing dog guy. Hmm. Okay. Never, never been a canine 
uh, a police canine handler, but training, unbelievable. He had his pet German Shepherd, and uh, he trained it to apprehend in about a day and a half. So we had another friend put a bite sleeve on his arm, and Glenn was a tactical canine guy out in the snow. Cool. spots a bad guy lets the dog go the his dog shepherd jumped over the fence latched onto uh, the guy's arm and took him down and wow he, he trained his dog to do that in a day and a half that's crazy <laughs> wow yeah yeah like he's good he's really good and he runs uh he runs a volunteer search and rescue team probably the biggest i think in ontario like with, today with dogs yeah well with everything oh just for that <clears throat> okay they uh overt it's called Okay. Ontario Volunteer Emergency Response or Rescue Team Response Team. But he also has Overt. the Arwin Company, right? Yeah, he has that too, and he has his own company. Um, uh, Gee, Glenn's a going concern here. <laughs> yeah, man. Okay, so let's get Glenn on. Okay, it's <laughs> yeah. over now, Dave. Okay, yeah, <laughs> you're, you're right. <laughs> I won't talk anymore about his company. He's got a tactical kit and clothing company. Yeah, um, yeah, and they uh, they do Arwin now, but. Uh, yeah, so uh, so we did that. We started it, and uh, Charlie started throwing our names out to uh, casting directors, I guess, and back um, locations people. It's great, and we started getting calls. And that's how uh, I met you, yeah, yeah. that's how M- MLK's team came together, really. Yeah, and Charlie has been like, he has been phenomenal to me, not just like to tactical films and all that, but to me personally, because he called me up and. Uh, so the great story about MLK for me is uh, he called me up and he said, listen, he says, uh, I'm doing this show, uh, Mayor of Kingstown, and uh, Taylor Sheridan's the director. And I'm like, you know, okay, you know, didn't know who Taylor Sheridan was. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he says, um, I want you to come in and be a model for me. He goes, they're looking for guys built like you. And he goes, I want to showcase my stuff to him and you at the same time he goes i think you're exactly what they're looking for and i had just gotten my actor status about a month ago from doing another movie as a swat guy uh called one up still hasn't come to to the screen yet or whatever but uh anyway that was another fun one but um so i went in wore a bunch of different clothing uh and and guns i received those on my email okay and then uh, <laughs> and he took pictures uh you know they took pictures that. of me yeah. wearing all this stuff yeah and uh said okay i'm gonna be meeting with the director i want you there and i was like sweet i want to be there <laughs> you know so i let it go and i didn't hear from charlie you know for a while and then i prompted him and he said uh, it's gonna happen i'll let you know and then uh and then he called me and he said, it's actually not going to be with Taylor Sheridan, boo. And then uh, he said, mm-hmm. but it's going to be with the stunt coordinator, Randy Butcher. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, so I'm going to introduce you. And uh, so that he introduced us by text. Right. And again, I'll never forget that first text meeting because <laughs> uh, I think then we ended up phoning each other because <clears throat> we, we were trying to pick a day. Yeah. And uh, I had a major leak in my pool at the bottom. So I had to drain my entire in-ground pool and it was a huge pain in the, you know, so, uh, I'm the day I'm in the pool, 
with like six inches of water in it that was never ending. Like, and if I left the pump, if I turned the pump off, the groundwater came up a couple of feet okay. in my pool. So I was constantly doing this. And uh, I'm texting with your dad, Randy, and uh, I guess, can you can they see you? Who? People watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm texting. You're not the only one we have on TV. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I'm texting with, oh, that's right, because I've watched these. <laughs> so I'm texting with you, and we're trying to sort out a day. Yeah. And I'll never, ever forget, you said the last thing you said, and then we were on the phone. And the last thing you said was, have fun with your pool. And I said, go fuck yourself. Right. <laughs> have fun with my pool. And you go, we're going to get along great. <laughs> and then, uh, and then the day came and you said, you're going to bring your son. Yeah. Uh, who's going to be doing it. And he was a stunt man. And I was like, okay, you, you said he was a stunt man actor. And I was like, Oh God, what's this going to be like right? <laughs> yeah. for, for a SWAT team? Yeah, hey, I thought the same thing. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you, you know, preconceived ideas sure. of somebody that's never done that. Of yep. course. And then uh, the first thing you said to me was, well, I could see you've let yourself go. Yeah, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then uh, we met and, uh, you know, I didn't know either of you guys from Adam and, uh, you know, we talked about the union thing and you said, don't worry, I'll get you in. And I said, well, how do I get in the stunt union? And you said, no, there's no stunt union. Yeah, and I said, oh, well, I'm already in the union then. You're like, oh, fucking even better. Yeah, man. And then, uh, absolutely. From there, it was uh, fucking a match made in heaven. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, it was, it was, it was awesome. I had the it best was, time. Oh, I had the best time. And I, I, and I had a better time. Yeah, you think so? <laughs> I think I had the best time. <laughs> God, the competition in this team is just insane. Um, um, now, I, I've said this before uh, to him. I won't say it to Sean or Gord or anyone else, but. I don't know what it is about you, but in my opinion, when you pulled out uh, everything you were doing, you were like a tripod, man. Everything is steady as hell. You are the most, you are the yeah. cleanest, best looking. I like, <laughs> no, like no, my, no. my opinion really, really Boy, doesn't fucking matter here, but the movement, dude, you, yeah, you're we, so we just slick talked about this two days what ago. you do yeah. now, well, thank you. but thank I you mean, you, you've talked about some of the training you've done, but, um, you know, and then you said uh, earlier, sniper here. Uh, you know, this guy here. What? What? How? How does that work? And and uh, what have you done? So, it, it's really a natural uh, sort of draw to certain things. Some guys just love the idea <laughs> of being training and becoming a sniper. You know, right. that long range shot. That was a Gordy that, thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right? Okay. Um, you know, and then other guys want to play with bombs, um, you know. And, and, and that's where you went. And that's where I went. But with us, it wasn't an either or. It was ah. in addition to being an operator. Uh, so you're an operator first and you got to get used to the team and understand all that and get all the prerequisite courses and then if you show an affinity towards something <clears throat> like being a bomb technician, um, then it's decided whether, yeah, like you go out to some of the training with the guys and, you know, if they like you in that capacity and you seem to be smart enough, right? Um, then you get selected for the explosive disposal course in Ottawa, uh, which is pretty intense. 
Um, you're actually building bombs to learn how to, and then you trade them. Then you set up scenarios <clears throat> and other teams have to deal with your bomb. Jeez, man. Inert bombs. Inert. Well, we, yes, inert, like, but they would have a, a live, um, uh, what we call a squib. Sure. Which you okay. know what a squib yep, is, of course, right? Yeah, so little there, there's a little explosion. Okay. Um, so if the team fucks it up, <laughs> that oh, squib okay. goes off. Well, that makes sense. Right? So you learn whether you did it right. Because if you just have a fake bomb, you don't, and, and you um, disarm disrupt it, it. And there's nothing. And there's nothing to say whether it went off. Because you would go up <clears> afterwards <throat> and see if that squib went off. Sure. Like pipe bombs. Uh, other bomb, mailbox bombs, all, all, you know, sort of all the things that you would typically come in contact with. And, uh, you, you, hmm. you do all that stuff and, uh, what a great course. What another bunch of great guys, you know, mostly all SWAT guys. Um, but some departments like the OPP, um, most of them were like ident officers that got the bomb course. What's that mean? Uh, what? Uh, they, they do forensic identification. They're out doing photographs of oh, crime scenes and okay. all that sort of sure. evidence collection. But then they were also bomb technicians. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and it's just to know the details of what they're working with, I guess. Yes. And, and they, they would deal with, ident people would deal with post-blast. So right. after a bomb went yeah, off yeah. somewhere, they know what they're looking for and, and evidence collection. <laughs> Uh, where our team actually did start out that way. But then when um, my original team leader um, got on, he was a bomb tech as well as a SWAT guy because we had some that were bomb techs and SWAT guys and some that were just bomb techs and other things. Um, he decided that, and we became sergeant, he decided that the bomb techs needed to be SWAT guys. So that for explosive forced entry, we didn't need to use somebody that wasn't tactically trained. So it made it all one, which uh, for how busy we were, it was okay. Um, but I do see the use for having some other bomb techs um, that do other things and don't sort of take away from the numbers because that therein lies the problem. If you have a bomb call and a tactical call going on at the same time, right. you lose your bomb text to the bomb call or right. three of them anyway, um, which happened, mm. you know, and sometimes we would say, okay, you go to the call. The two of us will just deal with this, um, you know, but it would depend on the type of bomb incident, you know, or perceived bomb incident. How many teams were there in Durham? Just one. How many teams in Toronto? Uh, six or seven. So that's the thing I was saying. I think, I think you went to the washroom, which I'm going to go soon. Copy. Um, <laughs> uh, People don't know I passed I was yeah. telling Andrew, I was telling Andrew that I always joked that we were 24 set, that we were full, really on, uh, the full time team. Cause we're on call 24 seven. Whereas Toronto, when they finish a shift, they go home and do right. whatever. Sure. Um, but a lot of time they're called in as well, big operations. So, well, I just find I find it fascinating that if somebody wanted to cause mayhem throughout the city, and there's only seven teams, you know oh, what I mean? Like yeah. you could really. We have a great working we. I'm no longer with them, so I, right. I, I, you know, I always still say we, but um, mm. you don't lose that. You know, no. when you talk about Mayor of Kingstown, I'm sure you still say, no, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do to so, some degree. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
a great working relationship and uh, shared resources agreements between uh, York and Durham and okay. Toronto and York and Durham and even uh, Peel. And it, basically it's a big brotherhood. And if you put the call out, they will come. So Toronto typically had all the biggest operations, like major gang takedowns where they're going to hit, you know, 30, 40 doors. And I was, you know, was lucky to be um, involved in so many of the largest joint forces operations in North America uh, for my, my time on the team. And uh, you'd, have, you'd have every team in southern Ontario coming into the GTA to execute warrants all at the same time, all over the city. Hmm. So you had from <clears throat> everywhere, from everywhere, from Ottawa to Niagara, they'd roll in, we'd have our briefing, and we'd, I mean, we'd have our briefing early, and then they'd all be staged in different areas across the city, and then at 6 a.m., doors were going in all over the right. city and people were going into custody lots of gangs fascinating you know yeah it's uh, it, but it's also like that top secret stuff absolutely because what you've done now is you've depleted that resource from that community yeah yeah and those guys are going back right away you know we were training uh, hmm. my team was training with the jtf2 um when parliament hill happened and uh, they jtf2 were here for two days and they had to pack up on the second day in the middle of training and talk about efficiency poof they were gone back to ottawa um wow we were shooting we we're flashpoint i shot the tv series flashpoint yeah. um we were the first tv show to shoot guns at the toronto airport at the back part that isn't being used yeah but when we were there one day the JTF two came in in two helicopters and you see these guys all climb out with their bags and walk into the airport. It was actually kind of neat to watch. Yeah. And get on a plane and go to another country. Wherever they were going. Yeah. Now what is JTF two? Joint task force two. Okay. There's no joint task force one. Okay. <laughs> but we want people to think there is. Well, we, no, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I they're, they're like so. the <clears throat> seal team six or something like that. Yeah. Or what, now, right? is it, yeah. Is it, it's military. Kind of, yes. Yeah. It's Canadian military. And, uh, you know, I know a few guys personally, um, and you put them up against any top tier team in the world. You know? So is it basically anti-terrorist type stuff that they yeah, do? Or? Yeah. The big, yeah. big hostage rescue type team. Eh? Anything international. Um, they're involved in Afghanistan and Iraq, um, in other places that we don't even know about. Sure. Um, operations, they do a lot of pre-deployment operations. Um, you know, the same thing that SEALs would do or, sure. you know, or the Rangers. Or, do they go through a similar training as the SEALs and all that? Oh yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And they train all over the world with all other, with teams. Yeah. Canada is no, like, I think people put us down a notch because we're, you know, because we talk like this, we're, eh? we're, yeah. you know, we're such a, we're such a nice country. <laughs> right. And we are, but, uh, <clears throat> you know, when it comes to specialties. Yeah. We can kick some ass. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, maybe not all of our sports. Teams, well, I mean, the American, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the Americans uh, are, they, they're just famous. They're just famous in general. Well, the more, Navy SEALs are in every movie, this and that. Well, yeah, as well, they're, more, right? they're more boastful. Yeah. yeah, yeah, true. They're also most boastful. But we, yeah, don't yeah. Have, we don't have a movie about the JTF2 that I'm aware of. No, and... and we probably shouldn't make one either. Yeah, do you, it any justice. I mean, <laughs> you could watch any special forces movie, sure, and just plunk the the name Canadian JTF dude sure. in there, and they're the same thing. Um, you know, and God, like, you know, some of them, how young and how few years, and what they see in those, like, in and out by twenty four. Oh, <laughs> you know, wow, and, wow, and really? have seen. And done shit that... Now, how many guys are on the team? Like There's... Nobody knows. Okay. And that's purposeful. Sure. So, I imagine. I, I, I wrote a movie years ago uh, about a hostage taking of uh, the president... The, the would-be president's son. And I dealt with the Secret Service. Right. In the writing of the script. And the guy said, well, Randy, that's like the Bears giving their playbook to yeah. the... The other team and yeah 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 and I said can you read it and let me know if I'm close. He read it and said, "You're nowhere near." Yeah, because <laughs> I had guys everywhere. And they have so many more. Yeah, it gets fascinating. Yeah, what what we don't see. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Uh, no, hundred percent, and it's it's by design, of course. Sure, no, because you can't you can't have, um, you know, that stuff known. And you, you can't know where they all are based, you know, and sure. where they come from and, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, wild but, stuff, but man. Yeah. It's, uh, for sure. They're, they're top tier a hundred percent. Did that ever, was that ever a desire at all in your mind? Something like that? It, I mean, you must get so far with your firearms and the things you do and you, and then go, I kind of wish I could just. It's funny in later in my tactical career. I, because we got to do some stuff with the Canadian military. Um, you know, shout out to Paul Wassell. He yeah. was my first sergeant. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was my first sergeant. I love to tell him now that I outranked him by the time I left. <laughs> <laughs> I told him a couple times we worked together, or more than a couple times we worked together on uh, movies as as gun handlers, as, as armors. And uh, I've said, uh, I don't have to call you boss anymore, but I do when he's... He's the a great lead. dude. When he's the but he's the lead. Yeah, well, his name's come up on this podcast a couple of times. So yes. We yeah. loved it. So um, he had an in with the Canadian military, and there's a course called the Pathfinders course. So it's um, part of their special operations. And these guys are go from coast to coast doing portions of this Pathfinders course. And... Uh, they were doing their what's called E and E escape and evade portion, um, sort of in our neck of the woods, and uh, <clears throat> a, uh, based out of one of our military bases. And for two years in a row, we were involved with um, part of the, the the hunt and catch. Oh, okay. So that was very cool. We uh, we assaulted a um, uh, Hercules uh, as it was just coming to a stop on the runway, uh, which was very cool. How many guys were there? Um, there were probably, there had to be at least 20 or 30 or of, of us or them. You guys assaulting. Oh, so there was, uh, at the time there, we only had a team of 12, okay. but we were augmented by some canine guys and all that. 
So our job was to take them into custody because they're like an opposing force. And their job was to get away. So the plane comes in, taxis on the runway, the, the, the ramp drops down. We go flying across the grass and our vehicles bouncing. Case of beer almost fell out the side of the van. <laughs> that was for Asper. <laughs> and uh, we race after this thing and it's taxiing down the runway and we're driving after it. And the minute it came to a stop, we bail out of the, the trucks and run up the ramp and all these uh, military guys are strapped into their jump seats and uh, they can't do a thing and we take them down at gunpoint of course all the weapons are empty of course and uh, take them into custody put them face down on the tarmac and we have the canine going through just like salivating snapping at their face and canines can be unpredictable they don't know it's uh, pretend <laughs> right right so uh, then they get shipped off and uh put somewhere and then there's a portion where their things are done to them and then they're as prisoners and then they are given basically an opportunity to escape and then we go hunt them down and they are there there's things that have to that they have to accomplish in this portion of their escape they have to get from point a to point b without being recaptured and uh, with nothing on them. This, this, is wow. a, this is a blast. Sounds like fun, so, man. Yeah. yeah. So then we actually get deployed and go out and track them down with dogs and that and uh, prevent them from getting, you know, from point A to point B. And we scoop them up. And uh, I think we, we got all of them both years. And they get taken back into custody and treated like prisoners so that they... You know, this is so that if it happens in real 100%. life, they're going to be subject to this. Absolutely. And I'll never forget. So, and uh, we ended up, they, they took over a barn to sleep in one night. These people weren't involved. Oh, the people that owned the barn? <laughs> the people that owned the barn had no idea that there were all these military personnel camped out in their barn. And uh, so we were given the heads up as to where they were. And uh, we took them down, and boy, did some of them get in shit. Because some of them had taken their boots off to sleep. And in this game, now you... You have to be ready to go. You have to be ready to go, yeah. So um, yeah. There, was, there was one guy, and then they all get handcuffed and hooded and, and stuff and knelt down. And one guy was wincing in pain and you could just hear these moans and groans. And if I'm not mistaken, his shoulder was completely separated, but he was from the takedown. No, from somewhere during, Oh, during his the run, his, during oh, his run, shit. he must've fallen somewhere huh. and that, and he did not want this to be known. And eventually like they, there was no, choice like i mean his literally his shoulder was you know a couple of inches lower than his <laughs> other shoulder and uh and he got medicked out of the course oh. like uh you know so that's that's you know it's totally heartbreaking yeah because it's not because you gave up you know yeah and, yeah an injury caused him to to flunk out of the course i'm sure he was back the next year yeah but still to go and go through all that you know it's yeah. like the seals when they, you know, ring the bell sure. and they leave, 
they're usually back again, I guess. Well, you, I, I think they regret it right away. Oh. As soon as they ding the bell, they're like, oh. fuck, what did I do? Whoa. So you'd have to go home and then reapply, right? Kind yeah. yeah. You'd still be in the Navy. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I can't imagine how it would play with you mentally to, to, to live with quitting. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, when you're so. that type of person. Exactly. You know, um, it, it's be really, really tough really tough if that's your mindset you know and i knew pretty quickly my mindset was to go to tactical you know i knew that as opposed to a detective right you know so i lived ate and breathed that for my whole time on you you talk about doing uh uh, bombs how i mean i don't know if this is something we should even mention on the podcast but (laughs) how often are you taking care of bombs in a there's a lot more uh, hoax calls out there. Yeah. There are real calls, for sure. For sure. Okay. Uh, and then there's real calls, you know. Um, so how many? Not too many. You know. Good to know. Yeah, Good to know. Not, not, <laughs> not too many, but, you know. Just one, knowing one, there's a couple. One is too many. Yeah. Yeah, yeah one yeah. is too many. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, we even had, um, we, we had uh, an incident where, um, a guy wanted his, uh, to uh, make a deal with the crown attorney by turning over explosives. And they were in a garbage can in a park. High explosives. Oh, my God. And, and they were put there by somebody in order for this guy to make a deal. Okay, oh, so they weren't contrived. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But they were, they were illegally obtained, stolen explosives. You know, but put in a park, you know, where anybody could be. And that garbage can, you know, usually it's the shrapnel that. Sure. I've done, oh, I I did a search warrant in a storage unit um, in regards to a case. That storage unit had so much explosives in it. Like, and if there had been a fire, you know, some explosives won't go off with a fire, but some will. Um, but yeah, just like the amount it, and a lot of it's stolen from mining companies. Yeah. You know, that's usually where it happens. Crazy. So you guys, when, when you discover something like that, it's often tracked right from the, from the source kind of. S- well, everything's got a number on it. Yeah. yeah. So okay. we, we find out I see. where it was stolen and when it was stolen and, but it doesn't necessarily lead you to who stole it, and, you know? Um, yeah. Have it, you had in, intense calls that, uh something you just really didn't see coming like something new something wild bomb or, or i don't know i don't know bomb uh, yeah that's a i don't know in general god there you know there are so many that i've truly forgotten more of the you know like like i said earlier uh the ones where people hurt themselves those are the ones that i don't see coming like as as into what lengths they go to like attempted suicide or just people hurting themselves no suicides okay you know um you know we had one that was unbelievable like i was like i was amazed at at how angry this guy was before he killed himself he destroyed his entire house he put a hole in every single wall smashed every appliance with a sledgehammer 
chainsawed the furnace or, or sorry, used a saw, a sawzall to cut through the furnace and ductwork, uh, used a chainsaw to cut almost every joist uh, between the basement and the main floor. He wasn't happy. Yeah, was that was, a revenge thing? Yeah, it was a divorce. Okay, it, was a, it was an ugly divorce where, you know. She wasn't getting the, a nice house. Yeah, yeah. He was leaving and mm-hmm. that's what he was leaving, you know, for them. Yeah, and then uh, and then killed himself. Jesus. But held us at bay, you know, for many, many hours, um, you know, before we approached the house. And I was lucky enough to be the number one guy. So that's the guy at the front of the line, which I loved that position. Um, Why is that? A bit of adrenaline junkie, I guess. You're first through the door. I see. Um, you you are the one that's on your knee, like for for uh, stealth searches. Um, you had a pole mirror and your handgun, and your number two was your lifeline over top of you with a rifle or a submachine gun. And you're the first one mirroring through the door. You go through as a package. So when I say you're the first guy through the door, your number two is like right on you. And we taught some yeah, of that yeah. when oh, we were yeah. doing right. over top of each other, one, you know, two over ones. Totally. Um, you know, so moving up on this house and the house had windows and angles facing us, our whole approach. So it was just a horrible feeling. And we knew this guy had a rifle, um, but got up to the door and, I start mirroring through the door and I look through where the hinges are and I can see him sitting at the dining room table. And, uh, the first thing I say is contact and the rest of the team doesn't know what I'm seeing. Right. Like, so they're like, Oh shit. And I'm like, yeah, he's dead. I used, I used our nine code, which at the time, because, uh, the radios were, uh, weren't encrypted. Right. You know? So, uh, I said, he's 99 and guys are like, how does he know? Uh, he said, "Cause he's got no head." Yeah, it's <laughs> so, a good indication. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It took what? me a second what? to realize that's what I was looking at, because the first thing you see is this person, you know, and then you realize there's nothing on top of his shoulders. So it was, uh, <laughs> yeah. And then oh, we, we, we go in and clear the house because you don't know if there's anybody sure. else in there, any victims, anything like that, um, you know. So we we still have to handle it all the way through the house but you're looking at what destruction and and that's where i say like about the depths people sink to you know um but that was a that was a, a vengeance thing sure you know where there's the ones that people do it to themselves and some bizarre stuff crazy yeah yeah actually les mentioned on his on the podcast uh something about a lady who jumped in front of a subway uh Ended up in the hospital. They managed to save her life, but, you know, she was badly injured. And then when she, at some point, she just walked out of the hospital, went right back to the subway and jumped. That's very common. Yeah. That's, that's, that's wild, it's, man. It's, that I mean, that is sad. And, and, it, and it's a problem with our healthcare system, for sure, and our being able to deal with people that are suffering mental illness. Because mm-hmm. they just, you know, they, they have to get medically assessed first see whether they should be hospitalized and then it takes so long to get uh, a psychologist or psychiatrist in to see them uh, because they're on call um you know and then if they say all the right things they're out and you can't hold them but 
you know, how, does there have to be something better, a better way? Yeah, for sure there does. Because, you know, these people are in distress. And when they get to that point, they're going to do it. You know, we, we had a particular male that our team dealt with probably four times trying to commit suicide before he actually was successful when nobody saw him. You know, the rest of the time was all where people would see him. And it wasn't, that wasn't a cry for help. You know, he was trying to do it. Mm -hmm. He just didn't go. It took him four times to realize that he had to go somewhere where nobody would see him do it. You know, and he'd be found afterwards. Jesus. I see. Okay. And is that because maybe he, he cared about what other people were dealing with? No, he didn't want, he didn't want to be stopped. Oh, oh, oh okay. Yeah. I see. I see. Three of my three of my guys risked their life uh, one night, and they got uh, the police officer of the year award um, in Ottawa. They got recognized in Ottawa for their heroics. And I mean, you know, he was uh, hanging from a TV antenna. You know those old yeah yeah. Um, this guy was on the TV antenna with a with a I think a lace or a rope around his neck. It wasn't going to break. Um, and two of them had to climb this thing when he let go and was hanging and cut him down and bring him to the roof where he started fighting, you know, and, uh, and then they had to taser him to get him in under control. And then they had to lower him off the roof, you know, like they totally risked their lives climbing up that TV totally. tower. Incredibly that, sad. That TV tower is not meant to hold, you know, I'd say between the three of them, because that guy was probably 200 plus, And then one of the other guys was around 180 and the other guy was maybe 160, 170. So you're talking close to five, 600 pounds of people on a TV tower. And it was windy because it was stormy. Crazy. Yeah. So. Fuck. (laughs) Sorry, it'd have to be a doubt. No, no, no. No, no. I mean, the thing is, too, is that there's not not a lot of people know about this stuff. They don't really know what's going on. And, you know, obviously you you lived in another world for a long time where it's like a, it's like, it's almost like another, it's, you live in the same world, but it's another realm in a way. Yeah. It's on a different tier than most people. Yeah. yeah, you see things that really, I mean, people like us just don't see. Well, my my LinkedIn, I think the first line in my LinkedIn says, you know, I've been fortunate enough, or I said, I've seen and done things that 99.9% of the population will never get to see or do or should do. Yeah. So as much as I've done some amazing, cool shit, like I've had, I've led a blessed life. You know, it's not a silver spoon life. I made everything happen, um, but I've led a pretty blessed life and uh, I've seen a lot of, you know, a lot of um, broken people and a lot of uh, hurt, but I've done some amazing things and I don't regret one second of it, you know, like don't regret it at all because it's just an incredible world, you know, and, you know, truthfully, I loved, I love people. I was never going to sit behind a desk. Right. You know, my father taught me that inadvertently. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> he, he was a desk guy. And uh, I just mm-hmm. saw how it affected him. 
um, physically, you know, um, being behind a desk as an executive. And I was like, fuck that. I want to be out, you know, and I was always a, a physical guy. Yeah. You, know, you look, so. you look fairly physical. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't. Uh, I mean, I really got into working out more. Um, I, I started in high school, but really, I didn't really, really um, understand it as much as I did till I was in my mid to late thirties. Yeah, but did you? Did you? You worked out as part of the job. Yes. To stay in shape, to do what you do best. Yeah. Um, and then that kind of grew I was always a gym guy yeah um I you know from the minute I I graduated high school well I was working out in high school um I had a buddy that got me working out and uh shout out to Paul Reeve who's in the in the states now but he got big he got big over the course of a summer in like grade 10 or 11 and he played football so, and then we were buddies and he got me into working out and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and then when I got on the job, uh, I had a gym membership and I always worked out, always worked out, but I ate like crap. I ate whatever, right. I ate whatever was out there because I su subscribed to that adage of, uh, more calories, you know, eat big, lift big type of thing. And I was just always puffy and smooth and thought I looked good and thought I looked big, but now I look back at those pictures and I'm like, I was fat, you know, it's not that I'm not trying to be that, uh, you know, body dysmorphia guy. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, when I look back at, at when I got into actual training properly and eating properly and competing, um, you know, that's when I really learned how to do it Sure, and stay in shape. And then, yeah. And I was, I was paid because we had to pass a, a certain type of physical uh, twice a year to be stay on the team. Um, you know, we had an hour a day to work out and an hour for lunch. So we usually combined those two hours first thing in the morning because you didn't really come off the road to eat a lunch. Right. You know, in, in tactical because the next second you'd be back out for a bad call. So you just did it first thing in the morning. And if you got called out first thing in the morning, then I guess you missed your workout, you know, and, and that, and, uh, you always ate, you know, while you're driving around. Sure. So, um, so when did you start competing? 1998, uh, I did a before and after magazine competition. Okay. My, I was married at the time and, uh, my wife at the time brought home a magazine and she, uh, she showed it to me and she goes, you can win this. She goes, you're so dedicated. You can win this. And it was a transformation competition. So basically you took a picture of you as you are now right. in a bathing suit and holding a newspaper so that they could clearly mm -hmm. see the date. the date. And then I think you had three months and you had to transform yourself and do another picture. That's kind of fun. And write an essay on goal? why you should, why you should win this thing so it was an american magazine but then it it they made a canadian uh they had done the um transformation one in the u.s and now this this particular year they were doing the canadian version so i entered it and i i said on the condition that you enter it too 
Well, she lasted three weeks. <laughs> 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 and uh, and I, I did it. I didn't win. Um, apparently, though, uh, I, a few years back, I got sponsored by a, a supplement company. And the guy that picked me up said, I was involved in that magazine competition. And he goes, I remember you. Oh, cool. I was like, you're full of shit. <laughs> you, you know, because we're talking more than 20 years later. Right. You know, and, and he says, no, no, I'm dead serious. I remember you. So I was wow. like, nah, I don't know why, but I know. Because you had to write an essay, too, about why fitness was important to you. Right. Blah, blah, blah. So, and I wrote it about a sergeant that committed suicide. You know, so. Well, that's an that, easy thing to remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was pretty shitty. Um, and I was working when he did it. So, um, and wow. he was a great guy great guy and his son's on the job now and his son's an awesome dude, dude. what a shame and yeah. did the, was this brought on by doing this job which the bodybuilding no the sorry the, the uh the suicide the sergeant, sergeant. Ah, that i i i don't know and i'll never know i know he was battling demons that's what his letter said um you know and i guess he'd been battling them for a long time we didn't have a clue like working for him he was an awesome guy an awesome guy with a great disposition. You know, there was nothing about him working with him that said this guy's suffering from something. No, not a clue. Not a clue. Really? Wow. But that's, that was my first competition was this magazine competition. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I, um, a buddy, well, he wasn't a buddy then. Um, somebody put me on to another copper at work who was into bodybuilding and, uh, was competing for his pro card. And, uh, he became my trainer. So he said, yeah, I'll do it. He didn't want any money for it or anything. He just said, yeah, I'll do it. So, so I started doing it. And, uh, I like, if you know me, I'll do whatever it takes. If you tell me I need to cut this board off and eat it as part of my diet, I'll eat it. <laughs> if you, if that's what it takes, I will do it. Right. You know, yeah, your discipline's wicked, man. So, yeah. yeah, but it was, and it was early on, but I was, uh, and actually that was 1998. So I was, uh, not on the tag team, you know, so my discipline was always there. It just got more. Um, and then, uh, we became good friends while he was my coach and he was not a handy guy at all. Like he couldn't hang a picture in his, on his wall. So we sort of traded services and he was sponsored by a supplement company. So he would say, Hey buddy, uh, you know, I got this, uh, curtains. He goes, uh, do you know how to install a curtain rod? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, you think you can do it? So I, I pick a time or day, go over there, put up this curtain rod and curtains. And, uh, he'd give me uh, tubs of protein. Oh, you know, so, and then it just went like change a faucet in his bathroom and, and he'd give me more supplements and stuff like that and didn't charge me for coaching me. And, uh, that's how it started. And then I ended up with a different trainer years later, um, a true prep coach who's another cop shout out to Jason green and a phenomenal prep coach, phenomenal prep coach. He's an asshole. But he knows it. <laughs> yeah, no, we have to be. If you're, that's great. Yeah. So uh, he took me under his tutelage, and uh, <coughs> I didn't compete that often. That's for sure. Um, I competed in '99, 2000, 
two th- and then I didn't oh and then 2005 and then I was going to compete in New York City in 2011 on the 10th anniversary of 9/11 cuz the New York City was awarded the World Police Fire Games and I was like I am going to be part of this and actually one of the judges wives approached me uh, at a cross country race that I was watching a buddy run at the 2005 games and she said to me, she goes, I recognize you from stage. And that's because I totally bleached my hair white. Okay. Um, to stand out. Yeah. You know, no, some that's of the a great idea. And she goes, I, I recognize you because of your hair and that. I was, you know, I was like, oh, not because of the body. No. <laughs> but <laughs> she said, she said to me, she says, I'll let you in on a secret. She says, they just decided last night who is getting the 2000 and seven, nine and 11. And she goes, New York's getting the 2011 for the 10th anniversary. Wow. So I was, you know, outside that circle of higher ups in the organization. I was like maybe the first other one to know. Oh, wow. So I set my sights on being part of the, the anniversary. Three years down the road. No, uh, five years, six Six. years. Yeah. And I had been to New York in 2003 and visited ground zero. Uh, while it was still a crater with construction going on and just, and the buildings covered in their mesh and all that. And, uh, I actually got to go into the site. The security guard let me and my, uh, me and at the time my wife and my buddy and his wife, uh, he was a, he was a cop in, um, New Hampshire and, uh, the security guard let the four of us go into the site and into the family trailers that were a memorial. Oh, talk about uh, a waterfall fest, man. Yeah. Like he said to us, he said, there's no family members in there now. He says, please be respectful if any come and leave. Because the, they were like these construction trailers and there were three of them set up for the families to come and place things. And they were stacked wall to wall, floor to ceiling with artwork, pictures, letters from kids. And we're standing there reading this stuff. They're like, we were bawling, like just unbelievably sad. But anyway, um, went to New York 2011 to compete. And that's when uh, one of the hurricanes, I think Katrina, maybe it wasn't Katrina, I don't know. I don't remember. One of them was coming up the coast and had already devastated Jersey. Oh, wow. And it was headed for New York. (laughs) And all of a sudden, New York shut down. And I was walking out the door to go for the weigh-in on the Friday night. Don't forget, I had been dieting for four months and getting ready for this show. And I was walking out the door and a email came in saying it's been canceled. Oh, so oh, you're, you're already in a bitch mode. I'm in New York. <laughs> I'm not happy. Well, you saw me because I was dieting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I wa- literally got up to walk out the door, tan on and everything, and uh, get this email that it's canceled because they've turned the convention center into an emergency shelter. Oh, for grapes. And, uh, and then I was like, fuck's sakes. So what do you do? I phoned my coach, Jason Green. I said, they just canceled the show. I said, what am I going to do? I got to compete, you know, get me on a show somewhere. There's got to, and he's like, chill out, chill out. He says, "Uh, let's, (laughs) let's look at some things. And like, I think I was in tears on the phone with him. 
you know, all this preparation, dedication. And he's like, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. He says, don't worry. He says, uh, go out, have fun, eat, enjoy tonight in New York city. Cause like I hadn't eaten anything good or calories or that. So we go out to uh, Times Square and there's obviously everybody, all these athletes out there because a number of events had been canceled except for ones that were way out of town. And uh, of course, I spot every bodybuilder or every fitness person because they're all fake tans and that. And they're all eating tubes of uh, uh, cake icing and, <laughs> and jelly beans, or not jelly beans, but M&Ms. And they're, everybody's eating sugar <laughs> stuff. It's hilarious. And, uh, and, and having a beer and... And stuff like that. And uh, so then I'm like, well, screw it. I'm going to stay in New York and enjoy some of the other shows. Well, all of a sudden, it's like, what other shows? There can't, everything's shut down. You can't even go to a restaurant. What do you mean you can't go to a restaurant? Restaurants are closed. Why? Because the workers can't get into New York City because they all live out of New York City. They close the subways because of the hurricane, right? Oh, the wow. subway tunnels would be flooded. Everything. There were lineups <clears throat> like, like, um, at uh, at convenience stores for water that were three hours long and everything was gone. Every liquid had been bought. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was truly like you had no idea that people panicked like that. Wow. Um, in, in preparation for wow. this storm. It's like toilet paper during COVID. So we tried to get a flight <laughs> yeah. out because uh, we flew in and had return tickets for like later in the week. So tried to get a flight out the next morning. All the flights were canceled. No flights in and out of New York City. Like, how the fuck do I get home? How, you know, how's this going to, what do we do? We're stuck in a hotel. Like, no food, you know, no restaurants open. No con convenience stores didn't have any food. We got into one and there was like literally nothing, no real food to be had. Oh, wow. Um, so ran into two buddies who said, uh, we rented a car. We're uh, leaving uh, tomorrow morning. You want to jump in with us? And uh, I'm like, fuck yeah. Because they're, they're, hmm. they're um, did they? Yeah, they, they flew out of, I think we all flew out of uh, um, the island airport. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> so Jeez. four of us jumped in uh, the rental car. And drove all the way home, you know, on the Saturday. And uh, and then they, they emailed again saying, oh, the show's back on. It's going to be on tomorrow at this location. Oh, oh that's crazy. And so I emailed back and I made a phone call and I said, are, are you fucked? Like, first of all, every person there that was going to compete has already blown their diet by carving up and you know, eating all this junk on the Friday night. And now you're saying that instead of Saturday, it's going to be on Sunday or Monday. And I said, I'm already home. You know, I'm already home in Canada. I'm not coming back, you know? So they ended up having uh, the, the, the event somewhere else. And I think it was on the Monday, not the Sunday. Like they pushed it a couple times. I wrote a big letter of complaint. And How that. many people and, stayed? Uh, not, not a fraction. Like if this, the world police fire games is, is something to behold. It is the next biggest sporting event or was at the time spectator wise and competitor wise to the Olympics. Wow. Whoa. It mirrors. And that's what they did. They mirrored the Olympics. So every country sends 
representatives oh, wow. from, their, from their fire or police. Who's the worst? Oh, I don't know. Like, but it's incredible. Everybody's got a uniform, like a tracksuit. Sure. Because their department buys them a tracksuit. You've got your department flag, your country flag. You march into the stadium just like the Olympics. Or, you know, and march around the stadium. It's, it, they designed it just like the Olympics. So the one I went to in, uh, in Indianapolis, Indiana, there were 10,000 competitors. Wow. Yeah. From every country in the world, Man, that, I've, that I, was allowed to. Is it every year? No, it's every two. Well, they, and then they started. Um, I think it's just every two. Do they still have it? Yeah, and it, it. But I haven't. I'm not in the loop anymore, as far as I know. But COVID would have shut everything down. So it'd be I cool to when, see. I mean, it would be. Yeah. yeah. So it's a case of uh, it being awarded to a particular city, like you said, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in uh, Toronto, had it one year, I believe. Um, I know I, I'm pretty sure Vancouver did, uh, and it usually jumps continent to continent. Okay. Um, you know, so Australia, uh, Melbourne had it, Australia, um, Indianapolis, Indiana had it, New York City's had it, Quebec. Wow. Quebec had it the one year, 2005. That's where I went. The organization of something like that—that's a full-time job for a whole staff of people. And what's what exactly is going on, events of wise? You every sport you can imagine they have indoor rowing. Oh shit! Okay. So indoor rowing, they have darts, they have arm wrestling, they have all your typical darts. Sports. That's that's darts. A, that's yeah, a pretty taxing sport. Yeah, yeah. yeah they yeah. they have all your typical uh, Olympic style events. Okay. Um, obviously, in the and race. everybody's a copper or a firefighter or a firefighter. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and they have police specific events and firefighting specific events like the bucket brigade like you should see these guys you know where they run down they're they run down a street with a ladder yeah and they throw it up and there's a guy on the end of the ladder that they throw up with the ladder and oh wow scram, no way up the ladder and uh that's and cool they, they lift the buckets up yeah they lift the buckets yeah. up and that, they that. put together the old style uh, uh water cannon um, you know, and, and drag it down the street. And yeah, there's some very, very cool events. And then there's some that you would be like, what? Darts. Um, darts, indoor, <laughs> in, indoor, indoor rowing. Um, you know, they have volleyball, they have uh, rugby. Very cool. Um, wow. Yeah. And there's have, enough of you doing this? They have hockey. Like, oh, that's yeah. crazy. Like I said, every country. Like I think, I think in uh, 2000 and. I went to Indianapolis. There were probably 20 of us from my department oh, wow. that went for all types of different things. And uh, hmm. Glenn, Glenn did karate. Nice. I was his coach. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was his coach not knowing much about karate. Other, other than Glenn, Kick him, Glenn. Glenn, Glenn, said, Glenn said to me, because you were allowed a corner man, but you weren't allowed to be in the corner. And I had beers in the seats <laughs> you know? so uh glenn just said this is what i do and he says make me do this so he said when you see me like just moving around you know like dancing around he says snap me out of that okay he says he says i need to come out of the corner and attack and sure as shit he'd lose the first point you know because there he is dancing around and Guy would his opponent would kick him or punch him or whatever. The next one, I'm like, uh, you know, I'm yelling for 
I, I was only whatever, 15 feet away in a chair yeah, or whatever, but I'm yelling at him. I, I said, whatever I said, I, I don't know. I said, go or <laughs> launch or friggin' move, you know, and he comes right out of the corner, bang, you know, and, or whatever after the bow and that and back to the corner, boom. And, and he wins the point, but uh, he fought some tough guys. He, uh, he broke his knuckles or broke his wrist, I think. Oh, in it. Yeah, hey, I cool. Want to, I want cool. to see this. Yeah, I'd love to see it. Yeah, there it was, sounds awesome. There was his opponent on this one fight that put him out of it. Um, the guy was boxing and doing uh, karate. I think it was karate or taekwondo. I'm not sure. I can't remember what Glenn does. Um, but he does several different styles yeah. too. So anyway, this guy, very impressive. He was a Tennessee cop. And uh, so he, he was boxing and doing martial arts. He literally ran out of, after he won the match against Glenn, he ran out of there down into another uh, gym entrance and jumped in the ring and boxed and won. Right on. <laughs> like, Jeez. <laughs> he was a tough motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, cool. I love yeah. that. And he was, a, he was a heavyweight. He was well over 200. Wow. You know, so uh, a lot of fun. Uh, you meet a lot of people, you know, you got people exchanging tracksuits and that from other countries sure. and that, yeah. mind you, I didn't cause I liked my tracksuit. I wanted to keep it, but I also wanted, I remember I wanted the, uh, one from Australia, the ones they were wearing. I was like, fuck, I want that, but I got nothing to trade for it unless I give them mine. Right. Hmm. You know, so, hmm. but, uh, that's cool. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty cool experience. And then 2005 was Quebec and that was just as big, I think. You know, so what, what are you doing now? Uh, so I just, I competed in June, um, last June or this June. Yeah. So when I was doing, when we were doing mayor of Kingstown, yeah, I was getting ready for a show in November in Niagara, but COVID was full on. Mm -hmm. yeah, I yeah. wasn't vaccinated. Um, and I learned, so I was prepping for a November like mid-November show, I think it was, or late November. Um, and then I realized that there was going to be no concessions for people to be able to get COVID tested. And as long as you tested negative, it, because the venue said, nope, if you're not vaccinated, you can't be in this venue. So I hit the panic button with my coach and I was like, what the fuck? I, I've, I've been prepping now for, two and a half, three months, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that, you know, all through the summer <clears throat> of, of filming mayor of Kingstown. And I got gradually a little grumpier and a little grumpier. Cause you guys were able to drink afterwards and eat pizza. Oh and, yeah. Rub it. Right? In your face. Yeah, it was yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was great. We're, we're sitting down at the keg <laughs> and you guys are having all these big juicy steaks and <laughs> having chicken and rice. <laughs> so, so, uh, so then, uh, there was a show in Guelph, uh, in October. And my coach said, there's no restrictions for that. They don't come in till November. He says, do that show. And I'm like, that's a month early, man. Like, and he's like, don't worry, you're ready. Yeah. What people don't realize, maybe that some people that are listening is that you have to peak in bodybuilding. You, it's a plan. You plan and you peak for that show. Oh, hundred mm -hmm. percent. Yeah. And, and if you blow it by a day, mm -hmm. then you spill over and you look fat um you know or whatever yep. you know your your muscles smooth over or you um, get too lean yeah yeah it could yeah. go both ways yeah 
um, you know, they always say you look better the day after the show and it's probably true. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I ended up having to, uh, compete a month earlier than expected. So I did a October show. So we did our last day of filming, um, the scene in the truck in the studio. And then we went for breakfast. Remember that? On October, yeah, yeah, like yeah, October yeah, I do. second or something. Yeah, I remember that. Well, my show was either the ninth or the sixteenth. So a week or two later, the show that I ended up doing a month early. Okay. Um, you know, and I entered a bunch of bunch of categories and I won a couple of them and uh second and third, I think. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember it. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was a it was a, I was pretty proud, and and, and this and was, so you should be. It's a lot of work. Really. Well, this was because I I needed it because in uh, 2018 I competed at the Toronto uh, Pro Qualifier, and my um, hip was so bad with uh, osteoarthritis or whatever that it was bone on bone, and I didn't realize my leg had atrophied as much as it did until I saw the stage shots. Oh. I still did well conditioning wise, but it was very obvious. Like if you look at pictures, my right leg, you know, was like this big and my left leg was like this big, you know, it was like, holy shit. You know, how did you even place that well? Um, and my glute had shut off. So believe it or not, you know, your muscles can shut off. So I had half an ass. My right ass cheek uh-huh. had, had, had atrophied <laughs> concave so that because i had tanya take a picture straight down from my neck of my bare ass and i got like literally it looks like half a cheek fascinating Um, so my leg had atrophied that much my my hamstring had shut off because this was going i was going through this for about at least three years of gradually limping more and more and then i you know i retired um and it was like as soon as I retired, it got worse. <laughs> and uh, I was living on Advil, painkillers just to get through. I was still working out as hard as I could. I couldn't squat anymore um, just because I was going down with my hip up mm-hmm. in the air and like it, just this stuff. So when I competed at the International Pro Qualifier, I still did, like I said, okay. I placed, uh, I think, third um, in my category. Um but I looked, to me, I kind of looked terrible because of my leg and all that. So right. I wanted to do another show. And then COVID hit. Uh, so I had my surgery in 2018 on Halloween day. And uh, full hip replacement. Man, that's a barbaric surgery. If you've never looked at it, YouTube it. It's very cool what they do to your leg. Like they cut it open. They chop off the ball of your femur. Uh, sounds awesome it was it like i'm watching this stuff before i had it done and i'm like wow and then they're like i would never look at it before i got it done i think i think i think it's what helped with my recovery and my acceptance of it Mm. you know they show them drilling down into the middle of the femur and hammering this sectional spike in you know, they got a mallet and they're freaking pounding it down the femur. Yeah, this sounds good. And then good. screwing yeah, yeah. on the next section and pounding it down. And then they put this this uh, ball that's now your new hip joint uh, on top. And, uh, and then they line, they grind out your hip socket, you know, with a freaking whatever, a router. And uh, 
and, and <laughs> right, then okay. they and then they line it uh, with titanium, and right. then they put a um, uh, like a polymer lining on top of that so that it's smooth, and then they put your leg and jam it back in. So it gave you confidence. You actually went, you know what? These guys know what they're doing. Oh yeah, yeah. And I went to the best surgeon. Shout out to Hans Kreider at Sunnybrook. Um, honestly. This guy was amazing. You know, I wrote a, uh, a heartfelt letter to him to get him to take me because mm. I heard that he didn't just take anybody. Right. And uh, I said, I'm a retired tactical officer. I said, in my post-career, I still train tactical people. Uh, I still have to do this. I do close protection. Um, I'm an amateur bodybuilder. I need to be able to do all of this stuff. And I'm told that you're the surgeon to get me back there wicked and he wrote me back the next day or that day like i did not expect that and it was from him and he said uh he said it sounds like you need my services he says and i'm willing to do it he said "Uh, but you need to be uh need a referral from your doctor and you need to be assessed by my team so i called my doctor i said here's the name write me a letter (laughs) you know big time like and uh and then i went down and uh was assessed by um, few different people for different things. And they're like, Oh yeah, you're a candidate. You know, it was really funny because I, uh, before all this, I went for a cortisone shot and I had this Australian doctor and he comes in and I can't do an Australian accent very well, but he looked at the x-rays and he goes, uh, he goes, well, mate, your hips fucked. (laughs) <laughs> to put it bluntly and I'm like oh thanks for the confidence builder, right? <laughs> and then I went for the cortisone shot whatever the next day or week and the uh, the guy doing the injection they do it is so cool with live imaging right so they show the needle you going this, in right? yeah, so, sort of, yeah. yeah they show the needle going in so that they can place it precisely yeah and he says to me, dude, your hip is fucked. He goes, you got the hip of an 80 year old like this. And he's like excited about it. And I'm like, thanks a lot. You're just building my confidence. That cortisone shot lasted about a week. Yeah. I didn't oh, get cortisone. Okay. I have another thing, but yeah, oh, okay. I yeah. see, I see. So, so then I thought, oh, I'll get another cortisone shot. And they were like, no, he said, if it lasted three or six months, we would give you another one, but you're too far gone. So that's when I opted for the surgery and I went full tilt at it. Like I need this done. I'm getting this done. I'm going to come out of it and I'm going to compete again. And uh, that was my mindset. Yeah. You know, you talk about everything is mindset. If you, if you listen to any of my Instagram stuff, yeah, I, I am. you know, I'm not always got the greatest mindset and I can be a negative guy in certain aspects, but I think we all can, but I really do. I push it on Instagram for sure. Because there's no real other way to be other than to have a positive mindset. 100%. Everything changes with that. And uh, so I got the surgery and I walked out of the hospital the next day. I mean, there it's it's like it's like going to shoulder dice, right? They, they make you get off the table after a hernia operation and walk to your room. So I, they, I come out of recovery, whatever. I'm into my bed. I wake up the next day. I got the morphine thing and I'm all night long, you know, <laughs> myself over. and the next morning a doctor comes in and he says, okay, we're going to see how this goes. We got two canes and a walker. He mm. goes, first step is put your shoes on. And I'm like, Hmm, how do I get down there to do it? And he's like, Oh, I don't know. Figure it out. So I put my shoes on and tie them up. He says, okay, now I want you to stand up, but 
you know, take it easy, hold on to this, whatever. And uh, anyway, he says, okay, take the walker. And he says, stand up. And he says, okay, try two canes. And then he says, okay. He says, how do you think you'll be with one cane? I said, I won't know until I try. So he so took everything away but the one cane. He says, okay, come on out in the hall. So I walk out in the hall. He says, walk down the hall. And I'm like, really? Okay. Walk down the hall, walk back. He goes, what side's the railing on in your house and the staircase? I had to think about that for a second. <laughs> and then he says, okay, come on over here. We're going to walk up the stairs. So I walked up this flight of stairs, probably, I don't know, 12, 15 steps in the hospital. And then back down again and then back to the room. And he goes, you want to go home? And fuck yeah. Tanya didn't want me to come home. <laughs> she was having a break. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, can you pick me up? She's like, what? Why aren't they keeping you? <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, this isn't a debate. I want to come home. Come get me. <laughs> so uh, went home and uh, I basically spent, that was a Friday uh, that I went home. And I think I spent the next two, three days between sleeping in bed and doing my my physio mm -hmm. exercises that the book showed me to do, and uh, which seems so lame. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, they always so, do. Like, they stuff. seem so lame. I'm like, what in the fuck is this doing? <laughs> and before you know it, you're doing them better and more and all that. And then I'm like, okay, I got to walk. I got to, you know, and, and we live in a rural area. The street, I can walk on the street. There's no sidewalks. With no traffic so out i go it's the fall i'm walking down the street and then i'm like okay i need to take my dog for a walk but i'm holding my dog leash like with two fingers in case he pulled he, you know because he's 120 yeah, pounds to, totally <laughs> yeah, yeah i didn't want to go <laughs> you know if he pulled i would have been done um and then it just went from there and then i eventually started doing uh, weights and in no time, I was back to great. squat. Like, it was just amazing surgery. And talk about changing mental health. That's, uh, have you ever had a, mm. a an injury that sidelines you, like, takes away your ability to do stuff? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, How, absolutely. I mean, even to my, to a, to a degree, as a skateboarder growing up, I mean, I've just, I can feel just my body now. I don't know. I, I can't identify necessarily uh, what I, what injuries they are. I've had a few, right? Um, but I mean, fuck, I've 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 torn myself apart, and I can feel it just sitting here, yeah. Like from and you know just neck and back and all kinds of things. And it plays with your mind, I, it does. you know. And you, you had something done to your ankle. Yeah, I broke my ankle in 1992. That's plagued me to this day. Two yeah. operations. Um, <laughs> I get shots every couple of years. And uh, it's a some kind of a lubricant, uh, shock absorbent thing in there, um, but I can't my I can't do certain things. I can't run up a I can't run. Right. I can't run upstairs because my ankle doesn't flex that far. The mechanics, yeah. Yeah. Can we pause right there? Yeah. I got pee. We're gonna pause for the cops. We'll pee it up, man. Well, <laughs> hey, speaking of that. Now we're back on. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, we're back on going again. Welcome back from your pee. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, we're short of closing up here, Dave. We, we've been talking for two hours and 45 minutes, something like that. Um, Obviously, I can talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's a good thing on a, on a podcast. Yeah, you, you, I mean, the things you've done in your life, man, are incredible. Um, 
And one of these days we'll have you back to just talk for three more. Hours. Yeah, get um, deeper about some <laughs> some some crazy stories and all that other stuff. Um, yeah, I really wanted to. I was just telling you now, but I wanted to mention your toe because that was fucking hilarious. <laughs> now, just now, in Kingston. Should I be- Putting a picture of that toe up on the podcast? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It was it was nasty. That was just hilarious, but, man. Um, I mean, you we're we're doing some pretty tough work. Uh <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if it's tough, tough, but you know, we had to be on our game and running no. and boots and you know, with quit equipment and whatever we're doing. And and uh one day we're just coming back from dinner or something, we're walking upstairs and you literally one day, it was the first day. It was the first day. It was the first day we were there. And you were we were literally walking upstairs and you were the last one. You had flip-flops on. It was nasty. Dude, yeah. and that what the fuck? The edge of the stair was made had like a little steel strip or something like that. Yeah, the stairs were ceramic tiled and they had a metal strip, you know, for the joint. The edging. Uh, the edging. And uh, I didn't lift my foot high enough, obviously. And uh, I might have been a little tipsy. Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and but I've done it since, but not in the same manner. But so I see how it happens, and 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 I've seen other people do it, and I'm like, that's what fucking happened to me. So the <laughs> the my the tip of my flip flop, oh yeah, folded hooked, under, folded under. So my toes went over the edge, yeah, and I stumbled. Oh my so God. my my foot ripped backwards, literally ripped backwards. And that fleshy part of your big toe, because it's so fat, it just sliced it and peeled it back. But I didn't know it. All the squeamish people just turned us off. It it hurt. It hurt momentarily. Yeah. But you guys were more like, and I fell on my knee on the top step, and you guys like, whoa, fuck. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, and I was, you know, embarrassed. My ego, whatever. And I stood up, whatever. And yeah, yeah, I'm good, whatever. And then I forget who it was. Somebody looked down at my foot. Oh, it was, it was me. I was right oh, in front okay. of you. And you go, I was dude, like, dude, your foot's bleeding. Because <laughs> the blood's flowing out over my flip-flop down. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll uh, just go into the bathroom here and get some paper towels. So I go in and I get it. It's just soaking through. And you guys were going to go do something, go to the bar for a drink. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go up to the room and wrap this up and, and see. So I... I went up to the room and I friggin' wrapped it in Kleenex or toilet paper and yeah. tape. And of course I didn't have any bandages or whatever. And I'm like, oh, merely a flesh wound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? I I I don't even know if I looked in the mirror then. I might have held it up into the mirror. Yeah, it was then. nasty. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yo, that, then, that was f- Oh yeah. Fuck man. Yeah. And fuck? I was like, but but I was concerned like i did not care uh-huh. about you know what i had done other than the fact that holy fuck is this gonna affect we're filming yeah more. The work yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. Totally. yeah so i wrapped the shit out of it taped it like you wouldn't believe put the boots on the next morning and thought yeah i feel okay and uh went to set and that day uh well i was everybody was asking and i i had taken pictures that's what i had done i'd reached under my foot because I couldn't see the mirror and I'd taken pictures and gone, Oh God, that is bad. Like that's a, yeah. It was so I bad. showed people the pictures that's and probably the one I have. Yeah. I was, I, I everybody was like, you need stitches, dude, you need stitches. And I'm like, eh, I don't know. 
but we got wrapped without going to set that day. And I was like, fuck, somebody's shining on me. Yeah. And yeah. And they're like, you need to go to the hospital. So I, I, I went to the hospital. I took an Uber to the hospital after we went back to the hotel <clears throat> and I waited in the hospital for yeah, like four hours. But that thump, that thumping pain, oh. uh, sort of must have worked on you all week. And- well, it, it did. Yeah. But I, I get in there and blah, 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 finally. And the doctor and I tell him what I'm doing and, and uh, he says, okay, I'll stitch it up. I, I said, none of this dissolving stitches crap. You know, like I need like. The real deal. Rope. This is an appendage. Yeah. Reconstruction. Yeah. 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 Uh, so he, he, uh, he stitched me up good. Five stitches on your big toe, I guess is a lot. <laughs> you know? Oh man. And, I'm surprised that's all it was. That was a oh, crazy one. It was, one. Yeah, it it was right across, right across. It was like a happy face. And, <laughs> And, uh, yeah. And then I just got lucky with our filming. Yeah. Cause then when we were filming, uh, the first couple of days that week, uh, was like nothing. We we're standing around. We weren't, you know, it was oh, all yeah. scenes wow, that we weren't really yeah, moving anywhere. True. Yeah. So I was like, and then I would go back to my room and I put my foot on ice and yeah, I uh, just trying to do everything. It, it, da- it definitely put a damper on me. And yeah, you, it it obviously hit your attitude about things a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we were all excited to get to Kingston and, f- <laughs> and have some like fun. right away. And yeah, and yeah, then yeah, right away the first night I do this, you know. But uh, I think, you know, by the end of week one, I was thinking like, okay, this is going to be fine. It's just okay. gotta, it's just gotta heal. But I can do this. It's not hurting <laughs> yeah, to move around. Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, but yeah, that was ugly and nasty. <laughs> and when it was healing, talk about the stuff like oh. the, uh, the skin falling off <clears throat> and scarring oh, up God and like damn. thickness. Yeah. It's yeah. Crazy. You should have saved it. Put it, <laughs> put it behind glass and on the wall somewhere. Well, I've had a few good ones. I put my, I put a nail through my hand one time with a, with a nailer. Like a, a, a nail, nail gun? gun? Nail gun? Yeah. 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 Fuck. <laughs> I got x-ray pictures of that x-ray too. A three and a half inch uh, framing nail. Jeez. Oh my God. It's right, right through the middle. Because I was trying to put this plastic cap <clears throat> that protects the wood on the end of it. and Because it, it had come off. So I put it back on. Then I gave it a whack with my hand. And it went ka-chunk. Yeah, you triggered it. Yeah, but I didn't know that. Like it wasn't <laughs> supposed to be able to do that. I didn't think. I thought you had to actually press the trigger. I thought, don't you? I thought you did. No, it's Uh, the thing that you hold the trigger in and then push it down and let it bump, bump. That's what I thought, but this one, for whatever reason, because I didn't have my finger on the trigger, and I just smacked it. Oh fuck! And I looked at my hand and I went, oh fuck! And I was like, okay, this is gonna start bleeding bad and hurt soon. And there was nobody around. So I ran in the, well, I didn't run in the house, but I went in the house, <laughs> put a, put a tank top on because it was the summer. I was soaking wet with sweat, building a shed, grabbed a bag, put ice in it, took the time to put ice in the bag, put it on my hand, jumped in my truck and drove to the hospital. For them to take the nail out. For them to take the nail out. <laughs> I thought about, I actually, I looked at the hammer, the hammer yeah. that was hanging there and I was thinking about just like prying, prying it, out. it out. I was like, nah, that's going to hurt. Yeah, it's got to be. And how do I keep my hand from moving? <laughs> went to the hospital and I'm sitting there in the chair and you know just minding my own business huh. waiting 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 nurse looks at me and she goes and what's wrong with you 
And I went like this. And she goes, oh, come with me. That's hilarious. Fuck that. I've had some good injuries. I've, I've done some funny things to myself. I bet you have, man. <laughs> so, but right now, you got to sign this table. Shit. And I still don't know what to write other than quotes. Nobody ever does. You know? You know? Here. Really, do we write whatever you want, wherever you want. Uh, yeah. Um, really quickly, though, on that... Uh, you know, Charlie said something in his podcast. He said, he said, it's always, uh, um, if you, if you fail to plan, right. Right. Well, there's a quote that we live by in tactical world, fail to plan, plan to fail. Um, there's also a few other good ones. Hmm. You can't suck and blow <laughs> you know, things like that. So I'll pro- probably write one of those, but, uh, hundred yeah. percent Char- Charlie was right. Totally. So Cool. All right. Yeah, man. Yeah, re- yeah, yeah. Perfect. And it doesn't have to be. It can be anywhere you want. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm gonna keep it. Uh, keep it here. Okay. Okay. Um, well, what do we got? Dead air. Do you want me to read it out for the people that can't see? Well, once you're done. Wait. So you thought Shawnee. Wrote like a kindergarten. You can read mine, though. <laughs> That's true. It's that point in the podcast again where the Spotify people are missing out. No. <laughs> or Apple you Music. Gotta, you gotta really go. or... Even on YouTube, they can't see it. They just know yeah, what well, you're Well, that's true. That's actually... That's true. One of these days, we'll go up on... Uh, oh, man. The Going Again podcast Instagram and and uh, put up a photograph of the table. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's a good idea. Read it out there, David. My butcher brothers, blessed to know you, friends for life. Fail to plan, plan to fail. Dave Flood, Floody, 041022. Fucking A, man. Beautiful. Yo, cool. Love you guys, man. Thanks. Yo, so, ditto, uh, man. Hey, right back at you, brother. And, uh, and it's truly, I'm truly honored and truly blessed to know both of you. Um, you know, can't say enough. There's so much... So uh, obviously I can talk a lot because I didn't even realize how much time. <laughs> yeah, you, you'll be back for part two. <laughs> Don't worry about that. But it's been a, it's been a blast. <clears throat> love you guys. I love you too, man. Thank you so much for coming out here. Thank the feeling you. is absolutely mutual. Hey, how come I didn't get the drink? You could. I didn't even ask. Want a shot of tequila? I never tequila? even thought. Uh, oh, you got tequila? Yeah. Oh, I can okay, do Okay, man, we got right here. Yeah, let's do this. We gotta uh-huh. cheer. We gotta cheers. We gotta have a drink. Yeah, cheers. man. Give yeah. Hell yeah, man. Fuck. Now I can wish. Dee, do you want to show the tequila? It's probably because you guys did this in the afternoon all the time that it was normal to drink. Well, see, yeah, yeah you well, got you got here so morning. You got here so early. We never even thought about it. I I actually thought of it on the way here. I thought, hmm, is it gonna look bad if we're drinking at ten o'clock in the morning? No, we wouldn't. Nobody would know the yeah, time. Yeah, they would have known. They wouldn't have known. You did, now they we do. We could have done this now at 7 a.m. Dumbass. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. Did I say 10 in the morning? I mean, it's 10 at night. That's right. You know, it's, hey, it's 5 o'clock somewhere. Absolutely. And this is good stuff, man. All right. All right. Yo, boys. Never, never too late. Never too late. Cheers, Cheers, man. Success always. Thank you. Thanks. Absolutely. And uh, we don't even have to cut here. We can just uh, sit here and chat. I'm not in a hurry. I'm sure you guys well, have any things. No, no, no. I um, have about 30 emails to oh. address, but that's uh, all good. <laughs> that all came in in the last <laughs> yeah. 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. It, it, uh, we had a great time, uh, Floody. I'm so pleased that we met and that we did this together. That Mayor of Kingstown. Um, Ditto, you, man. That you come here to do this with us. This is awesome. I, I'm honestly like when I say things like I feel blessed and that I truly, truly do. It's, uh, you know, meeting, meeting you guys was, uh, another highlight of my life, you know, hundred percent. Like, you know, <clears throat> I could have talked and, and I thought I would talk about so much, you know, like comparisons with Sean's life, mm. um, you know, and, and realizing why we're so close, why we're such good friends and, uh, and then, you know, the things I've done post career, like getting into the television and film industry and, uh, and doing close protection and, and all those things and meeting people like you. And I always, I always tell people that I met this guy, I met this, uh, consultant from Ottawa. He's a, he's a native and he's got a native, uh, consulting company, I guess. I don't know where he, he basically puts people with native background into position okay and he gets first crack first crack at all these government Mm. contracts because it looks good Mm -hmm. right so he i met him great guy and uh forget his name off the top of my head it's in my phone though but uh the one thing he said to me is uh, when we met he says you know he says the most powerful word in the world is hello and i may have even said this to you guys I thought about that for a second, but as he continued and he said, he said, with the simple word, hello and handshake, you can open so many doors. And I thought simple, but it's profound because you're fucking so right. Mm -hmm. Like all it takes, because you know how many people in this world just don't make eye contact with other people. Um, you know, especially in the service industry or, or whatever in the film industry, you could say hello to somebody and your life could change. You don't say hello and you just let that person walk by, you know, and it might even change their life. Absolutely. You know, um, I would, (laughs) I was in, and it, 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 I guess it's a simple gesture or whatever. Um, cause I say it to my youngest daughter all the time. I'm like, you know, anybody you're, any guys you're interested in or whatever, cause she's over in London, England and she's there by herself. Like she's just made friends while she's there. She's got no relatives or anything. And, uh, she's always been an introvert and I've, you know, so I've asked her, you know, any guys you're interested in or, you know, been on any dates or whatever. And I said, you know, cause you have to talk to people, <laughs> you know, you have to make eye contact if you, totally. if you think somebody's good looking or whatever, <clears throat> you know, you got to make eye contact and, 
and she's a heck of a lot better at it. She just turned 23 and, you know, I went and saw her in the summer and she's a different woman already. It's a big deal, man. I mean, it's not easy for people. Uh, It's not easy for, I don't think it's really easy for anybody. I think it's like anything else. uh, You gain a certain type of experience and, uh, you know, after you've done it a few times, then you sort of grasp it a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, everyone's so different from the next, you know. And Confidence comes with experience. <clears throat> and totally. COVID, oh my God, like the people that are at that stage in life where they're just learning how to be social mm-hmm. and then COVID, like totally, you, you, we've, we've, the, the government's fucked up a lot of people by, sure by their restrictions and lockdowns and mask it's wearing. crazy, and, man. Totally. Like, like you look around, I know you guys see it too, everywhere you go, the amount of people still wearing masks. Oh, God. That, that truly believe that they're, and I, and, you know, again, I don't, nobody's going to see this part, right? This is all. Oh, yeah, no, they're seeing it probably. Okay, well. So, well, it's, I, it's, I start shutting up. There's no, re- there's no reason yeah. we're saying goodbye no, right it's, now. It's, it's not a knock to anybody <clears throat> wearing a mask, but I feel. Uh, there's, I, mm, I, I have sorry. no issue with anyone doing whatever, whatever they, they feel they got to do to protect themselves or anyone else. Yeah. Um, but it is amazing how little information people are able to gather or willing to look into themselves or whatever it might be. I have no idea. Yeah. But I do. I certainly do. I look up at, at, at a mass these days and I kind of, oh, like I get a bit of a. Yeah. You're, I, I, you, you're like, you're like, oh God. You know, I wish you knew, mm-hmm. you know, I wish you didn't, you know, just. And nothing believe, you can say will convince them. Believe the, or drink the Kool-Aid that the government was fucking dishing out for free. Yeah. You got to imagine. Know? Well, I don't, I'd like, why? Why? Are they, uh, I don't know. Well, and that's another podcast. Because these, these people are worried. These people are worried. And what kind of way to live is that? Totally. You know, like, uh, you know, I can't imagine it. My, my parents have graduated to a um a condo that just this summer where it, it it's it's stepped living if they need more care or whatever then they can move into another section but right now they're self self-sustaining in their own condo with a kitchen they go to a dining room for dinners just because they don't feel like cooking right um you know but my dad's not got great health my mom's suffering in a couple of things but you know, and they're 87 and 86, but they got rid of the masks the minute that they sort of felt comfortable, right? which really was when the government lifted the sanctions. So, you you know, it's, it's like, I, I think the whole time, you know, they were like, fuck, maybe my kids are right. Well, I, why am I doing this or why am I, you know, Sometimes I feel silly in a way because I do, I want people to acknowledge something uh, and go, wow, how are you so ignorant or whatever it is. But prior to COVID, I was not political. I was not thinking, I wasn't giving no shit. Yeah. And I was, uh, I was like anyone else. Um, and uh, I don't know what the difference is other than I just found it. I mean, right away when all the vaccine stuff started and all the stuff, I, I got, I just got really skeptical right away. I questioned it right off the bat. Nothing seemed to make any sense to me. 
And that's where it just started. I started my journey on trying to figure out what's really going on. Of course, I've not found out anything really other than this is ridiculous. Hmm. Uh, I, I don't know. Other than the fact that every conspiracy theorist, which is not a people, people, um, um, they knock it. They they use that term to describe it in a negative way. Yeah. Where being a conspiracy theorist is not a negative thing, but you know, right from the outset of this whole thing, how many people put out there publicly of what stages and what was going to happen over the coming years, right? Fucking every one of them was and right. And they came to fruition. And, 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 and they said this from the beginning. This is what's going to happen next. And next and next and next and next. And it fucking happened. You know, some people would say, well, they put that out there. So they made it happen. Sure. But they're not government people. You know, the government put it out there. Totally. And, and, yeah. made, and made it happen. Well, before the government shuts us down. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, fuck. We can sit here and sip. But... Uh, yeah, I, I, you know. Well, yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe we should shut down this and then uh, and then sip the rest of our stuff uh, without the headphones on. Yeah, uh, yeah. Totally. I don't know, unless no, whatever. It's all good. Whatever, uh-huh. whatever you want. Davey, I got to tell you, man. Uh, once again, thanks so much for coming. It's been fucking awesome. Love you. I'm so glad you're here. I'm looking forward to the backyard party, man. It's, it's been and the it, boat. Yeah, it's been it's been my honor and pleasure. You know, I uh, if I didn't get invited on, I might have been like, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, you know, all pouty. But well, uh, <laughs> we don't it's want bound to happen. I, yeah, no, it's I bound uh, to honestly, I love you guys. Like uh, you, you, ch- you changed my life. You know, you did. You affected. You effectively changed my life. Uh, well, and mine as well, by the way. You know, so... You did to uh, mine. Big time. And and you did to mine, because again, you opened a whole new... You know, I know this is going to be a big love-in now, but uh, but honestly, everything I do in my post-career is amazing. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm almost... I'm, I'm paralleling my previous career with so much fun shit that's related to it, and... You know, I just love it. I love doing it. I love having an impact on people. I love learning sh- new shit. And uh, you're always learning. Yeah, totally. Yeah, man. And that's what I was doing when I was hanging with you. I was learning. And it's and it's priceless in the world I come from. So. And you guys drank from the fire hose, like I said it, when we were doing those four days of training, which were... It was bomb. You, you mentioned it on one of the podcasts. That, like, is pretty unheard of. I think with, with Charlie. Charlie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty unheard of, right? Having yep. that ability to uh, yep, rehearse, which we weren't really rehearsing. We were rehearsing a sense for that one scene on the couch. Yeah. Without but, really knowing how it was Well, gonna, that was actually, right. but that was also a pre, like that was um, something to show the yeah. director. Yeah, we wanted to do the previous and yeah, right. how things were going right. to unfold, but. But the other training we were doing, the the two over one and the yeah. transition drills and, you know. Um, it, Man, it, that was it, the best. It, it does. It looks so awesome when it's when it's done. Well, Taylor Sheridan wanted uh, authenticity. Yeah. Um, he spent he the it. money. He yeah. got his authenticity. It looks amazing. Um, and a lot of shows really don't care about that, That's which, which is a shame. Yeah. Uh, but as a stunt coordinator, uh, it was an absolute delight for me to be able to bring people in 
and Charlie and all his stuff and everybody, you guys, yeah. to uh, to create something and show Taylor. But the man's a force of nature. I've said it before. Yeah. Uh, if uh, he wants it, he got it. And um, hopefully that continues. I was really pleased uh, to be a part of that. Yeah. Yeah, man. I don't know if they'll bring season, if there's going to be a season three. They ain't coming back. Now, there'll be a season three, but they won't be coming back. You here. don't think so? Mm-hmm. Maybe no. season 10. There's no reason to. No. You know, season, I, I really season, don't think there's a reason to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it, it. I definitely did not get hung up on expecting a season two. Mm-hmm. You know, where I think a, a couple of the guys were like banking on it. I almost. did. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'd hoped for it. I well, I oh, won't. I won't deny. I hoped for it, but mm-hmm. I was like, "Fuck it!" If this never happens again, I had an amazing time, and 100%. I'm sure everybody else was the same way. Sure. But I was like, no, there will be something better next year or different right. next year. Yeah, there will yeah, yeah, always yeah. be something. Yes, yeah. So, I mean, and more so for you in that line of work, for me, there won't necessarily be another stunt acting movie or TV series or, or whatever. But, I mean, it's funny. Uh, Netflix just put out uh, Rookie Blue. Right. And it's showing as one of the top ten in Canada right now. Or top 10 on Netflix. <laughs> and uh, that's where we got with our supplying special skills extras. Okay. Our first sort of real break. Cool. We did almost... if So I started watching it from episode one, season one, which I never... you spot me then. Oh, yeah? I'm not, I won't tell you where I am. Okay. <laughs> well, well, we are... Me too. Anytime there's a SWAT team in it, it's us. Okay. It's me cool. and my friends. Casey's in it. Mm. You know, cool. all over the place and uh, a bunch of other guys. And uh, yeah, we did almost every season of of that. And uh, and whatever episodes there was SWAT team in it, we, we did. That's great. So we had a good couple of years where we had a lot of shows that we were doing SSE stuff. And then COVID hit and everything shut down. Well, if yeah. my shows need you, you will be here. Um, and I won't be hiring you as an SSE. But... Absolutely. That, that said, I'd work with you in any capacity, whether it's an SSE, a consultant, or or a, or a stunt actor, or a fluffer. You become yeah, out be yeah, a fluffer. Oh yeah, yeah, well, uh, yeah. Podcast took a turn. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying. <laughs> I want to know what you mean. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's just it's it's just, a tequila. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's just fun. It's just fun. Yeah, of and that's what that you know, like if you can have fun at what you're doing, it's not work. Hundred percent. You know. And I, uh, I try to instill that in everything I do. It's great. So, love it, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're almost done here, D. I'm gonna call you cut in a minute. Um, any last words? <laughs> yeah, any last words, there, Dave? What do you think? Actually, Adam said something that I wanted to. Adam made a point in his podcast about. And I forget the the actual wording, but it was like having a military or tactical people running like a a set Mm -hmm. and we've talked about this a million times and we've watched things how they go and uh it's some sets are all over the place and i know that there's stuff that i don't understand or see but then i've been on sets where i see the move the whole everything the cameras everything and shoot one side of the house Mm mm-hmm and then, and it's not because of the lighting. And then they go, oh, yeah, 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 we got to do this. And they move everything back to the other side of the house where they had previously had everything. 
and shoot something else in the same lighting, in the same everything. And I'm like, oh my God, this fucking, no wonder it costs so much money. And I'm like, they need a a tactical guy to plan this day. Well, the the first AD is that tactical guy who, and and really good ones um, make that plan. There you go. So there's good ones. Yeah. Yeah. However, that said, in their defense, uh, sometimes a creative decision is made that, and and you have to allow for that um, on set. You have to be yeah. fairly malleable that way creatively. So you've you've created your shot list. You know you need this from here. You need that from here. And so something all of a sudden, oh hey. Right. And then you may have to move. Now, yes, I've been on lots of sets where things moved back because somebody made a mistake and they forgot or they needed something. But but uh, a lot of times it's a, a creative decision. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I but I agree with you. But uh, the, the, the it's thinning out there. There's a lot of productions and not a lot of professionals. Yeah. Or something like that. Well, no, and things are watering down because there's so many so many venues for shows um not the, the the really really experienced professionals uh who have been doing it for a long time can't do them all yeah so some shows have to start bringing in younger mm-hmm. crews and when i say younger i mean by years in in the business um so yeah that that happens i mean we see it all the time in stunts not all this not all the um experienced stunt coordinators we can't do them all right so then they start hiring uh, stunt people who want to insinuate themselves into a stunt coordinator position, and they just don't have that experience. Please say your quote so that I can remember it again because I love it, and I, I've. It's on the end of this podcast. Yeah, so. it'll be right after this. Yeah, okay. yeah. Experience isn't expensive; it's, it's priceless. Okay. I love that because it's so true. And you said that the day, first day we met when you were talking about uh, I feel applying after. for mayor of Kingstown. And and it's 100%. You are so right. That's how I felt Yeah. after working with you guys. Man. It was Andrew's idea yeah. to put it at the end of the podcast. Yeah, it's 100%. I'm with you on that. That's a good quote. And and I was I was headhunted for a job just before mayor of Kingstown. And this is how much I believe in, you know, Things will happen for a reason. So I was headhunted for a job, and the 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 headhunter said to me, he says, here's what the job pays. This is what you'll be doing, blah, 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 blah. And he talked to me for, I was actually on my way to Charlie's. Talked to me on the phone for a good hour. And he says, what do you think? And I said, well, to be perfectly honest with you, um, that's not my value. I'm worth more. And I had never done that before. And I said, some clients I charge this, and some clients I charge that, depending on what the what the the job is and uh, he says well what's your value and I said well for this job I said at least this I should have said a higher number Mm -hmm. but I said at least this and uh, I expected because it was quite a bit more than he was offering and he said "Uh, I don't think that's unreasonable and I said well I know it's not unreasonable because there's only a handful of people like me in Ontario that are retired that can do that and have the qualifications you're looking for. And he said, uh, well, I'm pretty sure I can uh, get that number. And he says, let me get back to you. And he got back to me later that day. And he says, yeah, we'll, we can give you that number. Sure. And I was like, 
you know, sweet. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Your opening you know. negotiating position should always start far, far higher than what you expect. And when they ask you, can we do this? <clears throat> what I try to tell everyone is that you're not purchasing Randy Butcher for a month or for three months. You're purchasing Randy Butcher for an entire lifetime of experience. And that's what I'm going to bring every single day. Yeah, That's what you're paying for. You're not paying for the day. You're I paying for my lifetime of experience. I love that. Yeah. I, I, I do. Because, yeah, because they were going to pay for... 17 years of my courses and my intellectual property 100%. and my abilities. and People and say, that. hey, it only, it's only going to take you a couple hours. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> no. It's going to take me an entire lifetime so that that couple of hours goes by smoothly and no one gets hurt. Totally, man. Yeah, I love that analogy that, uh, you know, I've heard out there and I'm sure you've heard it like a carpenter. Well, you know, can't you do that cheaper? Or, or I can do it. You know, okay, well, you can do it. Go nuts. Okay, well, will you show me how? Well, yeah, that'll cost you this much. That's right. And he says, oh, okay. Well, that's that sounds good. And then he says, uh, so how do I do, how do I, you know, what tool do I need for this? Well, you need this, but you're going to have to rent it from me. You know, and it just keeps sure. going, keeps going until the guy says, well, okay. Well, just do you it hire. yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Love it. Uh, yeah. On that note, we're going to yeah. say goodbye once again. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it's over. Um, Davey, thanks for coming. Oh, thanks Thank for you, having me. Thank you for having me. Cheers. I love it. Love Cheers, man. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, man. Uh, cut it, D.